The Protect Your Neck Podcast. UFC International Fight Week Breakdown. Picks, plays, and whatever else comes our way. We're back. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night. up you savages this is the protect your neck podcast and i am your host dan tom analyst whose work you could find at mmajunkie.com and five days a week on mma junkie radio but on this year program the protect your neck podcast we break down high level mma but i've been away that's right dan tom has been away but we are back and i say we are back is because you are just a part of this show as i am and uh, even though it is a one-man show in the sense of host production, and uh, don't get me wrong, man, sometimes, especially because of these last couple weeks, I do wish <laughs> it was more than just a one-man show uh, to help keep this thing afloat, but it's been tough. It, it, it's, it's been tough, but we're back. I'm happy to be back, as you can hear from the sound of my voice, but uh, it, it's, not been, it's not been easy. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely not been easy. It's been... Um, I apologize, you know, I mean, no excuse. you got to keep consistent in this game. Consistency is key, which is what hurt the most. And, and what hurts even more than not being consistent, um, thank you, by the way, to the few of you listeners who are still here, is, uh, and we will get down to the MMA, but I owe you guys a catch-up and an explanation at the very least. But what hurts more than not being consistent is the fact that this feels so goddamn good. The fact that I have probably have the biggest smile right now I was not expecting is recording this, realizing how much of a therapy this is to be able to talk, to be able to express, uh, profess, and, and, and explain, and, and, and just being passionate about the sport we love. And it sounds so silly, and, and I can't wait to get into it, and we will, but, but my goodness, have I missed this. Um, yeah, essentially, as you know, Dan Tom, yes, I've got a crazy schedule. I'm not trying to complain. Just, you know, it is what it is. This is the way of Max Holloway, which we'll get to as well in a little bit here. Um, and yes, Dan Tom's been... You know, it sounds like I'm almost making this shit up, and it, it sounds crazy. I try not to talk about it because that whole self-fulfilling prophecy shit. I try to be positive. You, you know, invite positive stuff in. If you talk about chaos, chaos might invite itself in. But uh, but man, it's, it it has been you know a crazy stem of chaos, and um, and I say that not as as to play a violin, but it's it's apropos to actually what's been happening because you know. As I've been saying here and alluding to, just been dealing with a lot of health issues. You know, I started off uh, this year uh, not well. Um, uh, I, I, I caught a, whatever was going around, which really sucked. And 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 um, for, you know, uh, from an ex significant other, she, she had some kind of flu or something. I don't mean an STD. It caught something. That sounds bad, right? No, no. Uh, Dan Tom's all clean there, thanks to the vigorous testing I had. They, they told me that too, which was you know good to know. That was a worry, but anyways, you were there. But no, I caught a, a like a viral infection, right, of the lungs, and coughing, and that exacerbated a jujitsu injury, which led to um, uh, a hernia, which exacerbated an, a hernia, which led to an umbilical complication of an umbilical hernia, which led to surgery that I had in February this year. So it was kind of a crazy year for Dan Tom, and just for one reason or another, just 
kept getting sick after the surgery um, and then also having complications with the surgery, which still, you know, not out of the woods. It's gotten better, but uh, I still may have a corrective mesh surgery, another one, I should say. I already have my abdominal wall restructured, as you know, in February, but another one maybe coming up. But th that's fine. What was worrying me was old Dan Tom was just having these crazy symptoms from, like, temperature regulation, like getting the shivers every night. Not not just the normal stuff, like my visual acuity and normal, like, kind of post-concussion-related stuff that kind of happens when you don't get enough sleep, you're up late, you're, you're really straining your eyes as kind of as... Sadly, not so sadly, but you know, unfortunately, my weekly regime, as far as my health issues are concerned. But no, this was this was beyond the normal concussion stuff. This yeah, this felt different. This felt scary um, with the stuff that, you know that I was kind of dealing with and getting. And sadly, what was coming up was a lot of cancer and even some you know um, uh, disease-related stuff as well. But uh, anyways. Uh, I had about every, every test run in the book because after going to the doctors, essentially after getting some tests and, and you know, with, with some of my, my, my symptoms and all the accrued information, uh, one of the docs uh, floated by a, um, lymphatic cancer because uh, amongst the symptoms I was getting, I've been getting throat and, and, and facial cheek swelling, which is the one that really, I should say, that really kind of scared me off. I was getting lightheaded and almost fainting in the middle of the day. And uh, onset, quick onsets of neck and and, and throat and, and facial swelling. And initially told it was allergies and then gland issues, and then eventually kept getting worse and, and more pronounced. And, and fitting other hit, other checkbox started getting hit, and, and they actually thought it was lymphatic cancer. So I actually had a cancer scare. Um, and then Dan Tom had to go through this whole CBC thing, and yeah, these tests, all the all tests tests in the book run on me, which is like extensive blood work, and I had like literally the worst. Blood pulling. I know this is crazy. I'm only giving you guys the short version, by the way. This is going to be, I'm going to wrap this up. If this sounds rambled, I apologize and I assure you this is the short version. But man, it was just, I couldn't make this shit up. It was one thing after another. Like, and when I went to get these tests, um, like they had to pull like eight bottles of blood and I had the worst fucking lady. I had multiple blood tests. And the first time I had this weird, like, creepy dude who's like this really, he just seemed really creepy and perverted. I don't know how any other way to say it. Like, uh, there was like a teenage girl before me because they do blood and urine in the same place. That sounds unsanitary, I know, but they do. And uh, there was this like teenage girl before me, and she's like, it's like, it's like, she's like, oh, I didn't know I had to do a urine test because they're really bad at telling you uh, about that. And uh, she's like, oh, if I knew that, I wouldn't have just gone. And he was just like, that's all right, we could squeeze something out. And I'm like, that's a really creepy way to put that, doc. I'm just kind of eavesdropping here in the background. And sure enough, he gets to me, and thankfully, he didn't do anything creepy in, in the urinalysis department, but. Uh, for the blood, uh, he goes, all right, we're going to draw from your arm. And naturally, Dan Tom always pulls out his right arm because if you know Dan Tom, I'm fully sleeved on my left arm. And I even have, like, not just the ditch of my arm, as they call it in tattoo terms, um, where your arm bends, the opposite side of your elbow, the hinge joint. I actually have a pretty detailed piece there. So I'm like, I, it's going to be hard for you to hit the vein, and it's just not worth it. And I'm really not, not too worried about what a needle is going to do to my art, but I'm just saying for them, for the experience, let's just, let's just do the blood draw on the right. And he's like, no, I want to do it from your tattooed arm. I'm like, I thought he was joking. I was like, really? He's like, I like the challenge. This fucking place. Anyways, back for round two, this other lady just, and there's a kid screaming the whole time, which the worst part about the kid screaming was it, it, it only stopped right when I got up. Anyways, I'm going to get through the story. But the lady got through, she essentially went through two veins um, and she something was clearly wrong in, in my right arm, and then she had to go to my left arm, and she couldn't find the vein because again my left arm was tattooed as I just covered. Uh, fast forward to the fourth vein, till she finally realized it was an equipment malfunction that she was actually hitting my veins, and uh, 
when she pulled out of the fourth vein, there was just blood spewing everywhere. And uh, both veins were bruised, but I think I posted on Twitter for my followers. I look like from train spotting. I think I even referenced train spotting. Like, I look like a heroin junkie. I look like the, the end scene from, uh, what's that fucking Darren Aronofsky movie? Oh, God. Fuck, not Equilibrium. Uh, Requiem for a Dream. Not not the ass-to-ass part, but the fucking Jared Little heroin-infected arm part. Like, that's what my arm looks like. And I actually, the bruising finally went away two weeks later, but I'm still having bruises there. Anyways, thankfully, those tests came back negative. And actually, um, some of my stuff actually pretty, pretty damn good. So that was, that was good. It was a whole big ordeal. And they were late on those tests, by the way. So... Yeah, Dan Tom was just, aside from being busy and, and sometimes just not having time, there were times where I've got, like, this podcast drafted where I was supposed to have episodes or recaps. And honestly, like, even when I did have time, I was just either just so tired, stressed, just in a mentally bad place that I really, I'm going to be honest, just depressed, you know? I mean, when you literally, this is sadly not an exaggeration, I mean, 95 to 90% of my days in 2018... I have not been well. I have to battle some type of uh, health symptom, and you know have have the proof to prove it. You know it's not just a, a mental thing. Um, for one reason or another, and that shit wears on you. You know it's funny you 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 fill out these check sheets in the and the thing like do you have this? Do you have that? Like no. Do you have a history of this? No. And then a lot of the times it's like depression, anxiety. <laughs> no, no. And the last couple times I actually checked yes for the depression and anxiety because. It fucks with you, man. You put yourself in, in in a state where you're just not healthy and parlaying with the health, the test came back positive, but part of the reason why I was finding out, um, well, I, I still don't know what's wrong. We're, we're still actually chasing some, still some gastrointestinal tests and some auto, we still could be dealing with something in the autoimmune deficiency field, which wouldn't be a surprise if you know my, my family history. But the good news is there's no fucking cancer, uh, super AIDS, any of that shit. Like, oh, Dan Tom's clear. Like, okay, like, that, that's the good news. That's why I'm fucking happy as shit. All that, you know, that I was worried. When I heard lymphatic cancer, like, my heart, heart drops. When a doctor legitimately tells you that's a possibility, your fucking heart drops. And, again, back to the wares of just health and, and, and just kind of the stress of just literally not having a single day off for well over a year. Um, there really wasn't a day off before I even... I joined Junkie and was working independently. It's just kind of the, the beat of this game if you want to, you know, beat the odds and just try to have a spot at the table because don't get me wrong, at the end of the day, I hate to... That's why I hate to sound like I'm complaining because the spots at the table are, are, are so rare and just to be, be doing anything that you want to do uh, that's positive or that you like to do in life is so hard. That coming from somebody who's who's been on the side of a shovel digging ditches and, and laid off and hit the inflation bubble 2008 and... It, uh, you know, uh, got laid off from a construction company. Like, just the, the, you name the, the generic scenario. Like, I've been there, which makes my appreciation great. MMA uh, scenery and, and intricacies to our scene aside. Um, but it's like one of those things. I use that use this example where it's like, you know, you just it's just again, if you work seventy to eighty hours a week, I don't think you're just a human being is meant to work seventy eight hours a week, not take a break. And uh, this is something that I'm just kind of stubborn to. I think I'm just Superman. I can just do whatever. And I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah, I'll do it. Fuck yeah. Because I'm the one who raises my hand. So believe me, this isn't me complaining. I um, I raise my hand on every step of the way uh, for these things. But um, as I'm talking with my doctor, he's like, yeah. But I'm telling him, I, he's asking me my schedule, my sleep habits. And I'm telling him that I, I barely click. I'm lucky to cl- clock six hours and 
a night, and for the last at least two and a half years, I've done at least one all-nighter a week, no day off, constant deadline, and, and, you know, and he's like, yeah, there, there's probably a reason um, why this is. Anyways, uh, we're still sorting things out, so I don't, I don't want to talk preachy like I know, but essentially, yeah, um, old Dan Tommy starts to start taking care of himself, essentially, so that's been another reason. I've been trying to get at least six hours of sleep a night, which I failed this week on nights like this, because weeks like this, because there's so much MMA, it's insane. As you can tell by my sporadic, fast talking. Um, but uh, I've been also trying to do that. So, I mean, yeah, just for all these reasons, that's that's why there's been there's been no podcast. And, again, even when I've had the time, so to speak, I've just felt like I've been in such a bad place mentally. I don't want to spread that. I mean, uh, I'm lucky, A, to have even any listeners. B, to have the listeners I've had. I, I have right now. Thank you. And um, C, sorry, I was in track here. I just... Uh, you know, um, with those being said, I'm being lucky to have those. Why? Why do you want to go ahead and spread, uh, you know, negative energy and, and affect those relationships? Because you know, again, not not to peek too far hurt behind the curtain. I'll probably timestamp this so people can skip all this bullshit, and I will get to the breakdown. Don't worry. But to peek behind the curtain, that 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 is it is what's been affecting me so much behind the scenes. Why probably Dan Tom's affect my you know, personal relationships, friendships. And even ties with family members. I don't want to get too into it and start playing a violin, but it, it's bad. It's, it's, it's affecting me really bad. This whole health scare has really made me take a step back, realize what's important. And uh, it's me. It's my health. And at the end of the day, as far as what pertains to my work, it really has made me kind of refocus. And, 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 and um, my passion, my, my perspective, my introspect, uh, as far as retooling how I look at work and remembering what even got me here in the first place, the place that, again, I'm lucky to be in. Uh, so, yeah, um, with me already missing shows, with, you know, not even sure if old Dan Tom was going to be around by the end of the year at a certain point with the shit that they were, they were feeding me. Um, I just, I just made sure when I come back, I want to make sure that I, I'm able to come back. And as I say that, I look at next week's schedule, and next week's schedule is even crazier than this week's schedule to a certain extent. But uh, which sounds insane because International Fight Week here in Vegas, Dan. But listen, just because I'm, I'm media, it's not like some, some we're, we're, we're hanging out or having fun. Like, I, and it's not just everybody in every beat. You know, like there, there's guys whether it's Lynch or Morgan or doesn't matter. You know, whether you're all these guys, they're they're on the floor, they're hustling. You know, it's not all having brewskis and podcasting and all that shit. And, and hats off to, the, to, the, to, to, to a lot of those guys, especially the ones I just mentioned, because they they work uh, harder than anybody I know in the game and still make time for that. I don't know how they do it. I, I got to pick their brain for, for advice because old Dan Tom can barely uh, hold his personal life together. Remember to eat or sleep because uh, everything is all about content and work. And, and, and I'm trying to balance. I'm trying to be better at balancing that. But uh, but but yeah, man, it's not all like that. You know, I've I turned down uh, <laughs> I, I missed a free steak dinner with old friends. I missed a dinner with my best friend who was in town from Chile last week. Um, I missed two dates. This is just in, a, in one pretty much like the last week, week and a half. Uh, two dates with pretty cute girls. I might add. I might add. Um, Oh, MMA awards show. Nope. Sorry. Seeing friends, hanging out for all, everybody who comes in the studio before and after. Thank you. I, I love you guys. Thanks for coming in uh, the studio, Mandalay Bay for Junkie Radio. I'm so lucky to be a part of that uh, scene, but it, it's so tough because, you know, I'm in there a couple hours before, a couple hours after, and everybody's in there partying. It's Vegas. They're all drinking. People are watching World Cup, strangers to junkies to 
co-hosts, cohorts, everybody's having a good time. But but I'm there to work, man. I got I, I got I got pre-show pre-show duties, on-show duties, multiple show duties while I'm doing production, social media, trying to be available for co-hosts, working cameras, facilitating guests. Like it's already a a job that I don't. To be honest, I don't know how I do. And having to go after, so I apologize to those of you who come in, and if I seem rude or kind of preoccupied, it's just there's just no time. There really just isn't, and uh, it's tough. And I think you know, I think a lot of you have been been great about it, by the way, and been completely respectful and understanding. But I, I reference that because it, I think it's just a glimpse of like, and every again, I'm not playing a violin by any means, and every media member has their own version of this. But just for people on the outside, like it, and they go, how can mad people say there's too much media? How can people? Cut MMA guy, media guys, if they sound a little jaded at times, if they sound a little overworked, it's because a lot of these guys work hard. It's because our climate demands us to, um, everybody, you know? And again, the reason, and again, not complaining, but it's just one of those things that this is the example I was getting to earlier where it's like, big titty inspector. I know that that probably hits y'all random, but it's like, you can have the best job in the world. MMA is the best job in the world, and, and that's what, you know, I'm, I'm for me, it is. So that's why I always feel bad complaining, and I've used that example a billion times. But I'll say big titty inspector because just say just for shits and giggles, you could be the did, who, who doesn't want to be the big titty, big pretty titty inspector. You're like, oh, you, what you're, you're big titty and pretty inspector, Dan? How are you gonna complain about that job? You're like, here, you're right. But if you you're a big pretty titty inspector, 70, 80 hours a week, you know, n- n- no days off. Eventually, you're like, man, every day, every hour, inspecting big titty. I got a family at home. <laughs> At a certain point, you know what I'm saying? Like, point is, it's too much of a good thing. You have to find balance in your life. And I think that's a lesson that, that this this whole thing has taught me. So sorry that was a big vent sesh or if, if it came off that way. But really, um, yeah, man, that, that that's what's been going on with me. And uh, I, I feel positive now. I feel turned around. If you haven't noticed, I've already kind of been re-gearing. I put out a poll at Dan Tom and May. Thank you guys for following me and participating in that as far as what you guys want to see more out of me, more audio, more podcast stuff, uh, more video, more video-related content, um, and uh, or more written. And, and written actually resoundingly came in strong, even though written gets the less clicks. And it's, it's again, it's that classic thing where the fans and the hardcores are like, hey, media only covers this, and you put Rousey McGregor stuff. It, that stuff resoundingly gets the most clicks. Whereas I'll slave for these fucking breakdowns and sacrifice you know uh, my, my lack of a social life for it and the, the, they don't really get too many clicks and i'm not asking for your clicks that wasn't how that mental came off believe me but i'm just pointing putting out the point of and i've heard this on other podcasts other media people with their own things their interviews their own metrics come to the same conclusions vote with just like politics i hate politics i'm not trying to preach politics on here but i like the saying vote with your dollars because i don't believe much in the political system uh, but voting with your dollars is probably one of the more realer metrics you can uh, at least you know make some kind of a dent. Anyways, and, and speaking of which, thank you guys for for those of you who do give shout outs and follow and say the nice things on social media repeatedly. Thank you guys so much. Um, uh, I want to shout out a couple of you guys right now, especially just the listeners from from the Junkie Nation listeners, this this podcast listeners, uh, Joey M. Uh, you help me with a a. a Streaming issue, we'll just leave it at that. Thank you, sir. At JDMMA0718. Always checking in on the podcast, and sorry I've been letting you down lately, Coach Tom, but at PL Coach K. Uh, my buddy Jordan Fiegelman, Ordination Sports. You guys know you guys know Jordan. He's been a co-host. Well, I was going to try to get him on this week, but again, it's been so crazy. I'm, I don't even know when I'm going to be on, so that's why 
I had to postpone both. Jordan is a podcast guest. And also, I have not forgotten about the top fives. I actually plan on trying to maybe uh, push those a little harder. Um, making those maybe once a month and correlating it with maybe another possible project. There's some things Dan's trying to do behind the scenes. Uh, but let's just say there's some new things going on in MMA Junkie, as you've been seeing. There's some new things been going on in MMA Junkie Radio. Uh, the people behind the scenes have been working real hard on, um, including myself. And hopefully there will be more as far as that goes. So, again, another reason if you haven't been seeing me on here. And as well, if you've been seeing me um, a lot less on MMA Junkie Radio, that's not a coincidence. Uh, but hopefully we can make that worthwhile as in the, in the sense that you can actually see the differences that we're trying to make for what that's worth. Um, but, yeah, um, thank you. Thank you guys for reaching out. Or just people, again, all you guys are just say positive things. Share the breakdowns. That means a lot. Um, again, I'm not a big retweet guy. I know that's a big self-promotion thing, and I'm not hating on anybody who does the retweeting things. I'm just, again, I don't deserve to have the followers that I do. A, B, I'm lucky to have the followers that I do. So, C, I don't want to punish you guys by spamming you guys and this and that. So, I, I really try to be careful about tweeting and retweeting stuff. I used to be kind of a tweet and retweet horror share, everybody share. But there's kind of a limit to that where people, A, start taking advantage on wanting stuff to be shared and um, not saying anybody does or I'm against that and you see there, there are certain things that I will share when you tag um, so yeah, I'm not trying to discourage y'all I appreciate the shouts but it just it's one of those things where it gets it gets it almost gets it's almost like an all or nothing thing you know what I'm saying at a certain point and on the other side of it I don't want to um, abuse you know the timelines and be respectful to the timelines of the people who actually actually follow but i will say if you are going to do that stuff again i feel bad for even asking for anything same self-promotion but if you are you know tag junkie or that or the usa today or whatever just you know and not just for me just for, for, for other people when, when you when you want to do positive things because we're all so quick to tag negative things which by the way there are some streaming issues and uh thank you guys for those of you who whether they reach out in the chat let let, let you you know to, to, to let admin, which a lot of times is me or someone else know, or people who even go, go the extra amount of text, which again, I can't really respond mid-show, but I do appreciate any type of feedback. But the fucking cunts out there that take the time to fucking tag everybody and their mother and then be negative, so they burn the calories, they burn the calories to be negative, and then they go and tag the people that they don't have to tag, but you only usually would to tag to be nice, but they're not doing it to be nice, they're doing it to be fucking cunts. Yeah, let's just say, thank God there's the mute button so you can aimlessly keep tweeting at me or the handle and we'll still get the follows while you, you, you have a cunty complaint. Anyways, I hate people that do that shit. Oh, I hate people that fucking tag me, whether it's fighters or whoever. Anyways, fucking cunt move. Um, but if you are want to be positive, you do the opposite move. If you want to be cool and give someone shouts. Because you don't want to just give them shouts because hey, I almost feel bad when I'm giving, if you notice, I try not to even like tag people when I'm trying to be positive. Because I feel like, oh, they're just he's looking at me, he's tagging the person, he's just trying to get brownie points. I don't want to come off like that either. So a lot of times I won't even tag their name, I'll just write their name in, you know, and express my thoughts so forth. But if I do tag somebody or you do tag their name, tag their, out, tag their employer or whatever. Like a lot of times, for example, when I give Eads Edwards, who's killing it on the PFL commentary. Um, by the way, when I give Eads Edwards a shout or something, I'll tag UFC on Fox. Oh, he's doing great. I, I love seeing him on, at UFC on Fox because those people, the UFC, they actually follow those things. They're actually paying attention and aggregating the social media responses. 
Um, so not only can you, you know, share some positivity, but again, you can actually vote with your dollars and make a difference. We all want to be heard, but yet we all want to be fucking cunts about it because that's the social media way. Anyways, that was my way of thanking the people who are being positive and a little lesson on just kind of a little different perspective on how to look at it and maybe be a little less cunty. I apologize to people who are offended by the word cunt. About 20 cunts late, I apologize. Um, but man, by the way, PFL's fucking killing it. And that's another sad thing. It's been kind of bumming me out. It's like I've been killing myself to get all this analysis done. Y'all know, aside from all the injuries that happened, so maybe I didn't you know, 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 know the roster better than the execs, but I, I, I was, I, I, I'll put... Um, my knowledge on the roster to, to, to a lot of to, to a lot of the people working uh, working over there. Um, again, by the way, not, not toward the commentators. Eve Edwards, obviously, uh, the master couture. I'm not going to say any bad words about them, but um, but yeah, uh, it's just a bummer that I can't be watching a lot of the action, seeing a lot of the results, going back and watching a lot of the highlights. That is crazy. I mean, we had Shields and uh, got upset tonight by Cooper the Third Man, um, and. You know, I picked Shields in the preview we did for MMA Junkie Radio for sure. I ain't going to front, believe you me. But I did say, watch out. The left hook is the shot to watch for in that fight. And that left hook set it off uh, amongst just the ass beating and shrugging. He was just shrugging and pushing and hooking Shields around there until he got the TKO stoppage in the second. That was nuts. And then Pavel Kush also got the upset of uh, Nurmagomedov. And that didn't really surprise me in the sense I mean, not the upset, I should say. I, I had Nurmagomedov. I'm not going to front there. Um, Kush is a submission guy, but what surprised me is Kush actually rocked him before that. And if you watch Kush's fights in victory or defeat, you know he's got a super suspect chin. Like that dude has got like is a chinny chin. And you know Dan Tom is like tries to be really respectful, especially when the chin criticisms. But but Kush is one of the guys I would have criticized his chin. Um, or I did if it made it that far in the write up. But I actually had to cut that part of the write up, uh, write it out out. But uh, but yeah, that surprised me when I saw that result. Went back to watch that. Um, and a lot of crazy results. The Brazilian Luke Barnett got iced by uh, Sergeant Lewis Taylor, who uh, fucking George on the show. <laughs> Luckily, Taylor was fucking cool about it, but George was like, make it a, I think what, I think what he compared it to, the, who is the dumb now? <laughs> Major Payne. He called him fucking Major Payne, which is like time-wise, right? But anyways, uh, PFL's been a fucking blast, man. I mean, aside from just the weird, which they can't control, that's just MMA being MMA. Aside from the weird, like, regulatory things from the decision that, that, that being retracted tonight to the ball kicking in Chicago. Like, you know, they had like, it wasn't like even like their, their inaugural PFL event, which wasn't a part of their season. Um, but like even that one, like they had like the, what they had the wet mats that were out there and everybody was slipping. There was like three ACL injuries and a bunch of upsets and weird stoppages, like all attributed to them. There's always been weird, weird fucking shit fucking with the PFL stuff. But that, I'm just going to chalk up the MMA. That's kind of, they can't really control that kind of stuff. That's just a weird coincidence, but PFL's killing it. Um, Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series, by the way, if I know, you know, I've been battling, admittedly, we try not to be burnt out on the beat. I'll be honest, man. The one thing that I get super fucking excited about, there's no complaints, absolutely none. Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series. I've been fucking stoked on that. Um, and as you know, uh, of course, Dan Tom has to go ahead and go ahead and add to his uh, work. But one of the other things I've been doing is I've been uh, doing some coverage on that. And not only do I love Dana White Contender Series, I love the coverage I get to do on that because, oh, I can see why fucking Luke Thomas loves like Monday morning analysts and, and being able to do after the fact stuff. And, and I'm not saying that as a dig. It's awesome. It's fucking great. It's brilliant. Uh, you, you don't have to kill yourself in prep for content that is opposite of Evergreen 
and you don't have to look like an idiot when you're wrong or get absolutely no credit when you're absolutely right, which is the world that I live in, uh, fucking killing myself you know, for five days for you know, about a day and a half to two weeks of content that's going to see daylight. You know, tell me if that math makes sense. Uh, and again, it's no good once the fights happen. Um, whereas the Contender Series, I get to grade the winners, so it's a good reference point, which my breakdowns provide, uh, which this is where I would usually visit MixedMartialAnalyst.com, which you can still do for breakdowns from 2015 to 2017, uh, every event. But now, and you can still do that with MMAJunkie.com, you just got to go type the search bar, which has been acting funny for me lately, I got to figure that out. But, um, but, but yeah, uh, but, but I get to grade the contenders, which, you know, again, I don't got to go in researching these guys at all. I just get to watch it as a fucking fan, enjoy it, and then write about it technically and what I think and give a bullshit grade and just, it's fun, man. It's fun as shit. I fucking love it. Uh, even like stressed out, heading into the weekend, and again, I am i don't even have the time, and when I do have the time, like I think I was so burnt out like for like UFC Chile, but, like I was so burnt out at that event, folks, like I didn't even want to watch it. Like I was just like, like there were some really fun fights that were saving it, but then by the main event, I think I passed out during the main event. Grant, I think a lot of people did with no offense, um, Maya Usman, but uh, but yeah, like I was just so burnt. Like I'm just I'm I'm barely making it across the finish line. Not just for the deadlines, but just you know when it comes to watching the event. I'm like ah, but the Dana White Contender Series is getting me fucking stoked. Um, so that's been delivering. Um, Bellator, Bellator, Bellator is doing their thing. Still 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 covering them. Uh, thank you guys for the shout outs there. Appreciating the Bellator coverage that I've. Uh, you know, I'm bringing over the breakdowns there where I can, at least for the fights that deservedly so. And uh, before we get to Tough 27, just a, a shout out to the one media member I did see. Of course, I, I told you like, all the things I do turn down. Of course, what does Dan make time for? You know, good deeds, I guess. Uh, I, I went and picked a, up old Nikki Baldwin from Bloody Elbow uh, and, and now Severe MMA. Uh, shout out to both those outlets, especially Bloody Elbow. I, you, know, you know Dan, Tom, I, I, don't, I don't shy away. Just because we we're all competitors doesn't mean I can't give credit where credits deserve, and I always got love for the people and the content over at Bloody Elbow and Nick Baldwin. By the way, MMA Circus, go go download that podcast. Um, he has two awesome co-hosts. Uh, Jed Mishu always uh, does does great work over there at fighting. Um, uh, g- good analyst, uh, good uh, yeah, just 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 good good stuff from him, and and of course uh, the clown kid uh, Andrew Lawrence, um, who I, I'm a fan of. Uh, get to you know meet that kooky cat in person uh he's a personality for sure but i uh, always been uh been a been a fan of his commentary and his twitter and then the stuff he does uh over at middle easy uh shout out to them and uh but yeah go check out the podcast mma circus but uh yeah nick ball is you know i think he's been covering since he's like 15 or 16 and i remember thinking it was a gimmick i'm like is this kid really that young and no he really is that young he he just turned 18 but sure enough 18 isn't a free ride over here in the old us of a especially in old Las Vegas where 21 is the age to have fun. And uh, Nick Baldwin uh, was here to cover the events and was credentialed but had a little bit of a hotel crisis. I'm not peeking back at the curtain too much because uh, he's tweeted as much publicly on Twitter. Um, so he reached out to me behind the scenes and asked me if I could help him get him into a hotel. And I said, sure, Nick, sure. I'll pick you up. And, uh, <laughs> you know, with Nick being young and, you know, Dan Tom's head being uh, kind of a uh, – Sick in, in in the head. I was just I was kind of joking in my head, going, "Oh man, this is gonna look funny," you know, checking him into a hotel. I wonder if it's gonna be awkward or be if I can make it awkward by just you know. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if if I was like an older looking, burly, like you know, gay bear looking dude, it would be perfect because Nick is just because 
Nick is just very young. Obviously, I just he's a young guy, but he's very much a super twink face, and I say that endearingly, Nick. Uh, as, as a guy who's half Asian, half Caucasian, he looks very young for his age, and been hit with that, and believe me, so, so fall into what, where, where this story's about to go. But uh, so, sure enough, um, but yeah, I was like, I wonder if this is going to look bad, you know? It's just like, like, a, like a couple, or like, you know, maybe I, I'm smuggling a twink in for the night, you know, like it's going to be like, like, you know, like <laughs> the concierge is going to be like uh, George Clooney from Dust Till Dawn when he, uh, Hijacks the hotel from Harvey Keitel and then the young Asian kid, uh, Vincent Liu. He's like, all right, what's the story with you two? couple of fags on vacation? He's my son. <laughs> For people that don't know it from Dust Till Dawn, one of my favorite movies where I pull the song, songs, where the songs are from this here podcast. Probably think I'm fucking crazy. Well, you guys already think I'm crazy. But you know, it's crazier. But uh, hopefully those of you got that reference. But yeah, I was like, oh, God. It was probably going to look bad. But either way. Go to check in, and sure enough, there was—I won't get into the details—but there, there was an issue with the check-in. I'm like, oh, oh Jesus! Oh, great! Here we go, right? I was, a, here we go, and um, maybe luckily or unluckily, the uh, the gentleman that was checking us in—I, I'm safe to say to make the judgment. This this guy was—he's uh, hitting—he, you know, he switch hit. Maybe not switch hit, but he hit from the other side of the fence. He was a gay gentleman, and there's nothing wrong with that. I love my gay brothers and sisters. There've been many gay friends, family members. Hell, Dan Tom did theater. No, no strange to gay guys. But, and again, just like I said with, with Nikki Baldwin looking young, Dan Tom has a young face too. And whatever that is, it's like blood in the water, man. It's like, it's like sharks, man. <laughs> I've hit on my fair share of gay guys. So I don't think Nick realized it, though. I didn't get to talk to him about it because you know, he went into the room and I, I fucking went to go finish some work after this, this ordeal was over. But uh, the dude was actually bending some rules in the check-in for us that I don't think he was supposed to do initially. But uh, he was completely fucking hitting on me <laughs> while he was trying to check us in. And I, God, I can't remember what the fuck he said. But he said something like, holy shit. And I look over at Nick and fucking went right over his head. I'm like, oh, shit, didn't even register on this kid's radar. Ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> but the guy was, I could read between the lines and the guy was actually being nice and bending the rules. And anyways, we got checked in. Dan Tom didn't have to give any sexual favors. Don't worry, it's not what the story went. And old Nicky boy got and checked into his room. <laughs> Uh, at a certain point, it was just, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that would have just would have been funny. It would have been some awkward situation. Like, Listen, if I want to fuck this kid, it's between me and the man upstairs, all right? Mr. Tom, we just asked it if you wanted extra, any extra towels. Uh, yeah, 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 he'll take some extra towels. <laughs> it could have been, been awkward, but uh, Nick, I'm glad you got to your room, buddy. And uh, it was good meeting you in person, dude. <laughs> and I was like, Jesus, I had, I had this guy fucking check me into my hotel. By the way, uh, easy on the hookers and blow, Nick. That room is still under my name. All right. <laughs> On that note, let's get to the Tough 27 finale. Oh, it's not going to be quite in-depth because I don't watch Tough until I have to. Um, and I usually don't cover the, the Tough events live. So and when I mean until I, I have to, I mean until whoever makes it from this series and gets recycled into the UFC and have to research their fight again, yeah, then I go back and watch that fight. But uh, I didn't do that. So um, I'm just going to go and talk about kind of the key matchups, which I believe is like six or seven, just touching quickly. Um, probably starting with Piajota and Mearshart. Um, I want to say I missed it because, you know, Dan Tom's always been bad about opening line shit, um, uh, even just aside from the time that where my beat kind of runs me or it doesn't really matter what the opening lines are, for me at least anyways. But uh, even before that, I'm bad at that, admittedly. I ain't that guy. I ain't that guy. Um, ugh. Yeah, 
uh, Piachota now up to minus 233, even though I believe he opened as a dog, whereas Gerald Mearshart, uh, plus 193. Um, I'm on Piachota, so I don't blame the line chef, but I am surprised uh, that people went that hard. Um, I, I, I mean, I've been big on Piachota. I mean, two fights in the UFC, and even on his first one, uh, again, you know, Dan Tom does does the homework on these savages. I mean, uh, and uh, I, I was high on him before that, too. Uh, Robert, Dry, uh, Robert Drysdale trained black belt, travels around. Uh, not just the jiu-jitsu, though. Uh, not just the jiu-jitsu guy. No gi can transition, can wrestle, can go off his back, can get off from his back. More importantly, getting better with the stand-up. At first, we weren't sure if it was kind of just luck with him hitting some nice check hooks off the scene. But the dude has been getting much better. So I'm pulling up some lines uh, some, uh, lines here. All right, refresh. And, yeah, and, and Mearshart, I like Mearshart, too. I mean, um... He's a real crafty guy too, but it's it's hard to get a beat on. He's got that awkward style that Dan likes, where he'll give a bad position to get places and be kind of comfortable in bad spots, which I like. But as you can see, it can kind of cost you. Um, and even when he was trying to smartly and tactically use it to get himself out of some trouble spots after being stunned against, uh, I was gonna say Tiago Tavares, <laughs> then I was gonna say Tiago Alves, Tiago Santos. Um, it's just, you know, again, just, just 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 taking too much there. And, you know, at a certain point, you can't blame a guy because he was just hurt and it was his heart taking, you know, keep him, keeping him in there. But, yeah, I didn't I didn't, I didn't didn't like what I saw there. I did like what I see, though, that he, he, he beat my, my man James Lynch, at least part, at least in the uh, NES version, my favorite version of uh, Mario Kart with my favorite character, Koopa Troopa. Koop Troop. Koop Troop. Koop Troop. Koop Troop's the shit. Koopa Troopa's the fucking shit, son. With a shell. Oh, dude, I love Koopa Troopa. One of my favorite moves, someone was tailing me. Uh, everybody could use the red shell, but I would always pride myself hitting people with the green shell, you know, intercepting them with the green shell when they're turning in front of you or when they're trying to follow you. I'd go full blast, like, into a wall. It looked like I was going to run straight into a wall, and then I'd shoot the green shell to ricochet like it was going to hit me, and then I would turn at the last second, and then the green shell would shoot and hit them like it was a goddamn movie. That was my favorite shot to hit in Mario Kart. Shouts if you were all about that fucking move or the Coop Troop. Anyway, so I, a little bit of points to Mirror Shark for that. Nothing against beating James Lynch, by the way. You know I love James Lynch. I was giving him a shout on this podcast. And to credit James Lynch's credit, I believe you beat him in the N64 version. So go get the story from him. By the way, go check out his interviews and his, subscribe to his channel. That dude, fuck. You know what I tell him. You don't need me to tell you. That dude fucking hustles. Um, all right. Um... Yeah, meet us all. Uh, Matt Bissett versus Steve Peterson. Surprised to see Steve Peterson get another shot, but the dude brings it, and uh, I guess, you know, that is one thing, I guess, semi-consistent. If you bring it and lose, they still will keep you in the UFC, even though they'll, they'll get rid of you for off, more often than not and, and, but, and bring you on for head-scratching reasons. But, all right. Um, Sweet Chess Pete's comes on in the, in the, as the underdog, deservedly, I guess, to Matt Bissett. Deceptively experienced Bissett, you know, I, I didn't, pick him against the Peruvian last time out. Obviously, if you didn't know, hopefully you already do know about the guy whose name is now escaping me because you know how Dan Tom does it. He does it like he's fucking Rain Man without notes so he can be proud. But really, what he really ends up doing is stammering over himself and tripping half the time like he's fucking uh, drunk Judge Heppenstall in uh, State Fair. Dan, people don't understand that reference. They weren't around for your high school acting career. Shut up. <laughs> Sorry. It's late, so Dan Tom is saying a lot of random shit to fill time. Um, as my, as, as my computer, um, Enrique Barzola, I don't know why the fuck his name was escaping me. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Whoa. 
excuse me, hopefully I didn't come across too loud. Destroy your guys' ears. Try to turn away there. But, uh, no, Bissett's a really well-rounded guy. You know, you kind of worry about his chin, but at this weight class against more more of a volume, uh, kind of high volume to put it on you guy, um, I, I don't think the chin has to be worried about too much. Uh, and, again, he, he – he, uh, he he's a gamer, even in his victories and defeats. When you, you go watch him in the regional scene, not just from his Dune Dana White Tuesday Contender Series, not just from his uh, short notice UFC fight, by the way. Um, but again, this is going to be kind of a, a grimy affair either way. And uh, let's see what the what they got it lined at right now. One forty-five plus one twenty-five. I mean, that's if you have a strong opinion either way. I I, I guess I get I guess you could sprinkle on on either side there and, and still you know. Not hurt yourself and make it enough worth your while as far as a friendly sprinkle goes, but unless you're looking for something super degen, stay the fuck away. All right, um, let's go to yeah, Pena. Okay, you guys are all on those lines. People seem to have their opinions in these tough fights. I'm not even gonna touch them. Uh, Ostovich, who everybody, my man Brian's like, oh, she's the hottest girl ever. I think Ostovich went over Albu and my man uh, BR14, who's been on this podcast many times, his power rankings. Everybody's talking about Ostovich. You notice maybe it's me, maybe it's because, like, if there's any girl that kind of resembles a family member, you know, if they're in that Asian Pacific Islander kind of range, that just, maybe they're not as hot to me. I'm not saying that beautiful girl's a beautiful girl. I'm not race like I've. You know, I, I dig Asian girls and Pacific Island girls too. I just, I don't know. I think I've got to, I do got to admit though, there's a, there is an inherent bias. I think they got to work a little harder to hit on Dan Tom's radar because half of them look like I'm fucking related to him. So, uh, not into that. <laughs> but uh, she's against Della Rosa, who I think um, should be the deserved favorite. Of course, you know, I got love for Hawaii though, but uh, I stayed away. I did see some people harder on Della Rosa. Uh, same with that Hanjak Montefiore fight. I mean, Montefiore's been grinding, man. If you haven't been paying attention, if you fell off and kind of uh, thought she was just done after her 2013 tough stint, I mean, she's been grinding on the Invicta scene. Um, you know, say what you will about some of the splits, but you really look at the work she's doing in, 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 at, at, at Syndicate, especially after after that, that that stint where she really kind of settled in. And you go back and watch her footage. Um, you can't deny the girl, and it's hard not to root for her. I know I'll be rooting for her, but the pick is Honchak. Um, you know, again, both of them kind of who they came up short to as opposed to who they win can be tricky, right? Their more impressive wins are probably fights they should have won, to put it kindly. And I'm going to put it kindly because we're going to be talking about some of those fighters later, and some of those fighters we're going to be talking about maybe friends. And since they're friends, I might be biasedly picking them. And don't worry, I'm going to admit that I'm biasedly picking them. But yeah, you can read between the lines there as far as what I'm talking about, as far as their resumes go. Um, interesting, another interesting fight was Marquez DiCirico. I was all over DiCirico as a dog initially because I was high on DiCirico. But, but from his performances, I was high on him before he came into the UFC as far as like an underdog. Then he uses that close uh, split to... to, to to Boyan, and since then, shown some good signs, some questionable signs, and then you're like, well, Spicely's better than we thought, and he played into his his strength for a second, and that's all it takes, sure, okay, but, you know, there's other questionable stuff, too, and, and the McClellan fight, and yeah, it's easy to hit on McClellan, that was a grimy fight, and there's actually some positives to pull away from that fight when you really watch it with an objective eye, but yes, there's also equally questionable stuff there, too, 
And then when you have the limited, more limited sample size as we draw away from his competition, you know, um, it gets it gets even more it gets even more questionable as far as the Jericho. Like, we we haven't seen him fight much, barely once in the last year and a half, right? So uh, he's got a lot to he's got he's got a lot to prove to, to see what what he's been doing, what kind of gains. You know, the Italians have surprise you know surprised me more positive than not you know with Pedrosoli and uh, Vittori and and uh, uh, obviously he's got a history and he works with uh, Pedrosoli uh, Dietrico but uh you know do I honestly know what he's been doing and what kind of advances he's making no we got we got we got to see these I could I could pontificate and and uh predict all day but but we got to see and Marquez you know then I you know, I was like, oh, maybe he's just hype, and you know, people are liking him right now, which I get. I like him. You know what I'm saying? Like, I get it. I'm not hating on the guy, but we've seen it. We've seen those kind of narratives inflate a line before. But then I went back and watched some of his fights, and you know, I know obviously, man, <laughs> man Hamill's just kind of fight fighting with a flag on his shoulders, carrying a flag at these these days. Not exactly competitive. Um, I get that, but you really go back and watch Marquez uh, in his regional fights. Don't go back. Not so much as. His Dana White Tuesday contenders or his UFC fight, even though there's obviously impressive stuff to take away from there, but but there's even impressive stuff on it. You know, his LFA showings is is more is more regional stuff, and uh, he's developing at the end of the day. I like what I'm seeing for these developing, but he's also developing. So I ended up siding with Marquez, but it's more of a, a wait and see from both, you know. And then Marquez missed weight, which again just makes it all the more of a reason kind of a stay away because I'm missing weight. Oh. Bad, bad cut? Is he sick? Is he undisciplined? Is he injured? But then you have the stat where, you know, 99% of everybody have won their fights in 2018 is missed weight. So, yeah. I mean, the pick is Marquez, but, but I, mean, I ain't play anything in this one. Same with the next one. It's tight and, and perhaps justifiably so, depending how you're looking at it. Martin Bravo, plus 115. Alex Caceres, minus 135. Uh, people were high on Bravo, including myself, you know, because it's hard not to just like uh, a a box a boxing volume guy who's just slick and going to the body and and going to the liver, and I'm a sucker for that, right? But you look at the competition level he's fought before tough, in tough, and and since, and yeah, I guess maybe you know it could have been a fluke by Puelles, you know, running and dipping into that that kick. Um, I certainly wasn't impressed by Puelles, um overall, you know, when, when grading him before, during, and after since that fight. But Bravo, he still hasn't given us a reason to be impressed outside of the boxing either. You know, still wait and see and, you know, try to hunt him down on Instagram. Hard to see what he's doing. Still looks like he's kind of, you know, training in Mexico. But, again, hard to see what he's what he's doing. Um, and we haven't seen him for, for, for about a year. So, Whereas Caceres, you know, um, yeah, picked against him, right, you know, in his last fight. And, and you know, I definitely picking against him more than picking him uh, lately. Uh, hell, I think I even picked a D. Uh, was that who he fought? Jesus, I can't I have him fucking in front of me. Um, the Filipino cat. I, I get him all confused. The poor man's Carl De Thomas. All those guys, I always get confused, sorry. Yeah, it was D. I even picked D to beat him, I think. I mean, like, yeah, but uh, even though I pick against Caceres pretty much a lot lately, 
Um, that doesn't mean I discount the guy. Um, I I uh, think when he's finding his flow, he could be a tough guy to deal with. And his grappling has is, is always been pr- pretty underrated and has consistently you know, gotten better just – whether it's the matchup, what he's kind of doing, just hasn't 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 shown. I think it does in this one. Uh, it's kind of hard for it not to. Um, again, a lot of these guys, even if Martin Bravo comes out showing improvements, a lot of these guys, they're so susceptible to getting in grappling stances just through scrambles. It's like you don't even need good wrestling a lot of the times. They will follow you into a grappling stanza. You will find it, whether you're hurting them or they're hurting you kind of a thing. That's kind of how I see this going. And uh, whether it leads to a submission or just Caceres getting his back and earning control time enough to steal a round or two, um, I got Caceres here winning it. All right. Uh, that's about it. Yeah, let's talk about the main fight. main The main event. This is the one I really want to talk about. Brad Tavares, Israel Adesanya. This is tough because Brad is extreme tour Hawaiian guy. It's been on Junkie Radio, so all those three bias check mark boxes means you shouldn't listen to what the fuck my pick says. But it was one of my more stronger plays that I made personally this weekend. Um, I put 3.5 for me, which is uh, big for me considering a guy that only does, you know, 0.5 sprinkles, one to two unit bets for the most part, and, and, and gambles like a fucking nine year old with an allowance, as I say. Um, I actually put a decent amount of my personal dough on Brad when he was. Um, I got him at plus 155. I didn't get it at that like plus 165 high point, which I did see it on, and I wish I jumped, but we'll see if I even wish I jumped on it at all. I might not. I might regret it because Iziata Sanya is a talented fucking dude. He's not done uh, growing, and even though I'm picking Brad for the wrestling and grappling that people kind of forgot that he had because he came out of the shoot really, you know, um, getting a lot of his fights through through dogged uh, scrambles and... and uh, top control or going for guys backs or fighting from the clinch or getting knockouts coming out of the clinch there was a lot of grappling in a lot of his earlier fights it wasn't until his last recent stretch where especially with Ray Sefo he's really went in the kickboxing but he didn't forget about those skills and um sorry I was just point jumping there and I got lost but yeah I uh uh, I, I'm, I'm, uh, but but that, that being said, even though that's why I'm picking Tavares, I do feel, and I've said this before, this isn't anything new. I've written in my breakdowns. I do feel that Adesanya, you know, not just a striker. I do feel he's got some uh, some, some underrated grappling chops, and there's some room for growth there. You know, he showed it from his first MMA fight uh, forward. Granted, not great competition, but as far as where a guy's heads at, and I talked about it on this podcast before. You know. You can't always just write off the fact that it's because it's against poor competition. Um, you can't draw conclusions and you go, then you're just going down a path of confirmation bias. But you have to be able to, when you're researching a fight, to watch a fight. And even if it gets, it's against a non-quality guy, you still have to be able to take things from the fight and take realistic things from it. right? Not just take positives, but take realistic positives. You know, Where was his head at? You know? Um, you know, uh, sure, the guy didn't try to guillotine him when he came back up to his feet, but was his hands in a position to hand fight in case there was a guillotine there? Where was his head at? Those things are important. And Israel's head's in the right place a lot of times. Now his technique hasn't caught enough. 
cotton up to him. You know, you'll see him do poorly timed trips for Uchimatos or his DC was laughing at his lateral job. I love DC's laugh. Oh, the wrestler, especially just easy. You know, when a good wrestler is, is, is just watching something that's not good wrestling and they're just having a, a well-deserved laugh at it. So I get that, believe me. But at the same time, uh, it, you know, we can't treat Izzy as if he's something like fish out of water completely, right? He's going to have a chance to prove himself and, and Tavares will have a chance to also prove where Izzy's level's at. But yes, obviously I give Tavares the edge there. Um, and also another thing I was looking at, you know, Izzy... Is but isn't a one-shot guy. You know, you got to go to his kickbox and find more of his one-shot knockouts as far as that don't stem from knees or kicks. Um, but most of those knockouts are counter right hands, offensive right hands, or he's like walking guys into like check right hooks, right? A lot of it's very right from his right hands. Like he's playing, he's feinting, and he's setting up with his left. He's punctuating with his left when it's kicks. He's working real sneaky. Like his most beautiful strikes are off of his left out of him. But really... When he's hurting guys in MMA and in kickboxing, kicks or punches, they're off his right side. Whereas Tavares, you know, he's, dur- he's always durable Hawaiian, but then you realize he actually, you know, not only has he been stopped sometimes in his career, Tavares, not consistently, but sporadically sprinkled out through his career, he does, does get hurt his fair share, okay? But here's the unique thing about this. It's almost exclusively from left hooks slash left hands. It's never from the right hands. And you see this a lot. And a lot of, uh, you know, uh, as far as guys get hit with one weapon in particular or the other. And more often than not, I would I want to say it's left hands because sometimes some guys, I don't think it's so much that they just are susceptible to certain shots. I think they are. For example, a lot of times it's left because guys will lean to their right because they're trying to get away from right hands. So they're going to lean into left shots and make left shots more uh, powerful when they land and more probable by the numbers, right? If a guy's constantly dipping to his right, uh, John Jones, Daniel Cormier, and dip into that left kick, aren't you, DC, right? Because Daniel Cormier, what does he do? He dips to his right. Bad habit, sure, but if you're playing by the numbers, it's a good habit. Most of your opponents are going to be orthodox fighters. Most most fighters, most human beings are going to hurt you more likely with the right hand, whether they're southpaw or orthodox. There's a lot of right hand dominant southpaws. I'm one of them. You know, so if you're playing by mathematical the numbers, yeah, dipping to your right is going to be great. Now, on the other side of that, there's guys where maybe they don't get hit by a certain thing a lot, but they have a good radar for a certain thing. And again, that kind of falls back into the same category. A lot of guys, when they have a good radar for a certain thing, nine times out of ten, they have a good radar for the right hand. Why? What I just said, the right hand, whether you're in a street fight from a Joe who doesn't know shit to a trained fighter, that's going to be your most dangerous and most probable weapon. So what do people d- develop a, a natural radar for more often times than not? A right hand. And when you develop a radar for a right hand, what are you doing? You're oftentimes moving away from the right hand. And when you're moving away from the right hand, what are you doing? You're moving into the left hand. You see how we just went back full circle, back to my first point there. Okay. So a little, a little interesting perspective there. When you're seeing somebody um, get hit, you know, the little micro versus macro. I just gave you guys a big macro perspective of the left hook, right hand uh, symbiotic circle, if you will. And now I'm going to circle back to the micro, back to this matchup. Um, you know, Tavares, whether it was 
uh, Tim Bosch, which I thought it was a right hand, which was what ended up finishing him. But it was actually I'm um, trading left hooks like the Hardy Condit. It's the same thing with his Court McGee. He got choked out by Court McGee on the house, but it was trading left hooks. Uh, and then what was it with Robert Whitaker? Of course, it was a left hook. Left hooks is what's hurting Tavares. It's not from the right hands. So again, even going to Israel's closest thing to the knockout shots that can change the fight, which he still can very well. I'm not saying he can't. I'm just saying probability-wise, Izzy mainly does it one way. Tavares mainly gets hit by it the other way. So I like that. That's a good sign for Tavares. I played Tavares again um, at plus. 155 but yeah all right on that beat we are gonna take a break and when we come back we are gonna break down the complete ufc 226 card right here on the protect your neck podcast Right here on the Protect Your Neck podcast for the whole card of UFC 226. I drink some water. God damn, it's good to hear that music again, isn't it? God damn, I say god damn. God damn. Mm. Pulp Fiction. All right. <laughs> if you're playing along at home, give yourself two points if you guessed it. All right, starting, as for usual, from bottom to top. We're going to start with the fight pass portion of the card, and also we're going to start with the avoid list. We're also going to start with that bias pick I was alluding to earlier in the show, if you listen to it, because I probably timestamped to be polite so you didn't have to listen to all of it if you didn't want to. We have Jamie Moyle. <laughs> Moyle, that's Moyle. She's a good girl, that's Moyle. Minus 188. The UNLV alum, who now training at Team Alpha Male in California, formerly was training with Syndicate MMA. Maybe she still has affiliations there. I don't know. I haven't been following against. Girl who I have been following, but I haven't been following in the gym because I haven't been into the gym. But she goes to the gym I'm affiliated with, Extreme Couture. That is Emily Whitmer, Whitmeyer, plus 163. I also said Emily Whitmer, but it just, that's all I heard it, but the show there was Whitmeyer. It's funny. It's funny hearing like people pronounce the names you've heard a bunch of times before, but then you hear other people's pronunciations of it. It's, anyways, um, yeah, I'm not gonna lie. Uh, Jamie Moyle should be the favorite. More experience against better competition. Um, simple as that. Um, well, maybe not simple as that, but I mean, as far as you know, if you're looking for on paper uh, edges, you know, she holds a good pace, uh, well-rounded. Some some might, might have been surprised that she lost to Viviana Pereira. Um, I wasn't. I believe I picked. I hope I picked Pereira in that fight. But uh, but I mean, if you go back and look at, at, at Jamie Moyle's body of work, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's not. It's. It, I don't disagree with the line. I'm trying to put it. Uh, I'm trying to put it nicely because you know, trying to trying to be real, but also you know, talking about a friend who I'm rooting for. I'm obviously picking. Um, the thing Emily's going to need to do, though, is get her transition game going. Um, Will can hold her own on the feet. 
She's positionally aware whether she's playing from the clinch or from positions on the ground um, to hold her on on the ground. And the, or the grappling exchanges, I should say. But Emily's really good in scrambles. She's great at finding the back. Uh, she's good at hustling for position. Uh, and she just got, and to her credit, she just got caught in a really good arm bar against a girl who I think is better than, you know, people thought for what that's worth for that division. I think her uh, performance she showed after that, um, you know, proved that. In her last fight, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm skipping out on the girl that uh, Emily just lost, or not just lost to, but her last her last fight, uh, which was a loss where she got armbarred. Really nice armbar. Um, rooting for Emily here. I know she's been working her ass off. She always works hard. She's one of the hardest workers in the gym. She's always there. Uh, yeah, so I'm rooting for her, but obviously on the avoid list. And even if this, you know, there was no affiliation, this is probably a fight that would end up in my avoid list anyway, so... It's not like I'm telling some truths here, uh, uh, telling no truths here, but yeah, picking Whitmer, and uh, we'll see how that one goes. Hopefully, she can get her game going. All right, uh, next fight. I want to say is it Venata Indrakar close? No, it is Durhino Gilbert Durhino Burns versus uh, Daniel Huka 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 is minus one twenty. And Burns plus 100. It was a little wider. Money coming in on Burns. As it should. This was one where I was kind of going to the 11th hour um, on my pick. Which I kind of do with... I don't want to say both guys. It depends on the matchup for Hooker. But definitely for Burns. Man. This is, Burns is a guy who's burned me. I, you know, if I feel like I'm backing him at the wrong times. And I go against him at the wrong times. But it's also hard to get a beat on him. You know? You, you, you can... Uh, he's definitely, you know, the better guy on the ground. And I was kind of surprised not to see him favored. But if you want to be picky, sure, you can kind of go and pick apart his resume, at least certain parts of it, as far as, you know, the guys who he uh, who he is beating emphatically or even the ones he is getting a finish on. He was looked kind of terrible in the process, like that Alex Oliveira fight. Just really inconsistencies from the way uh, Gilbert Burns' body looks. Um, which I want to say he's gotten a little bit of a better of a beat. Like, I haven't seen him come in looking as terrible or as big as he did in that Alex Oliveira fight. Um, but at the same time, he's always kind of cutting down from big weights, it looks like. It looks like he's, like, puffed up all the way to, like, the last week, and he's fucking cutting all the weight off. Like, he looks like he's one of those dudes. And I didn't see the interview with Dan Hooker. It was just a headline, but I, I believe the headline was talking about Dan Hooker saying something, or maybe not a headline, but it was a tweet, probably excerpt that I saw amongst my timeline, saying something. Even Dan Hooker was commenting on that um, about it. He believes it's going to play into his fight. I don't, boy, it doesn't matter who you're dealing with. Even if you're dealing with a guy who consistently fucks up in that department, I don't know if that's a thing to depend on. I'm not saying Hooker is. Uh, again, I didn't see the interview or the source of it, but uh, but I'm just saying. You know, as far as depending on that kind of thing goes, that said, I did factor in my analysis too. So I don't blame Hooker for factoring it into his. Um, and, and, you know, you, you see it, whether it's... I don't know if it's something mental with Dorino, uh, if a fight's not going his way, um, if he just feels something he doesn't like in there, or what it is. I mean, you have to kind of, you know, pick the fight to kind of have your hypothesis to go along with it, because there's different ones for different... Uh, for, for different scenarios... Uh, Different ones of his fights, I guess I should say. Just at the risk of sounding redundant, if that made sense. But, yeah, just something seems off, in other words, right? And it just makes it really hard to to, to, to bet, you know, to 
to bet on him or bet against him. And um, uh, whereas Hooker, you know, looking better since he moved up in weight, um, he's getting knockout sure. Uh, but you know, it's not. It's not that I maybe. It's, not, it's weird. It's not that I see him knocking him out in this fight. Is my. It, is my read, but you look at it, it's like, oh, he doesn't want a decision. You expect him to win a decision, Dan? Well, like, yeah, I, I get it. If you go to look at a Sherdog record and try to break him down that way, yeah, he doesn't win decisions. But when I'm seeing this fight play out in my head, I'm just seeing Hooker doing his circling. And if he can defend those double legs, because that's like Dorino's wrestling has gotten better, but at the same time, he's and he's shots are explosive, but for the most part, he's always just kind of shooting and dropping to his knees from like really far out. And he's been able to kind of chain off and pick up from it because he's really good at chaining off from it. And when you're that good of a grappler, you don't, you know, just a little bit of off balancing and a little bit of chaining goes a hell of a, excuse me, a hell of a long way. But I'm still not sold on where he's at as far as his shot goes, um, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So if Hooker is still trending upward as far as his fight to fight improvements, Again, it's hard to say what he's doing for his wrestling now that he's mainly staying in New Zealand. Um, I don't know who they're bringing out there for city kickboxing. Uh, even though it's a great gym as far as, like, you know, kickboxing and on the come-up MMA, you got guys like Shane Young or obviously Israel Adesanya has been, been crediting a lot of his training there, recent, um, at least a recent stretch of his career MMA-wise, so... Not hating on the gym by any means. I'm just saying I don't know who who they're bringing about for wrestlers as far as wrestlers go. So um so yeah, but but if he can defend some shots, I see it, his jab and his improved counters uh really kind of frustrating Burns, right? Uh, and Burns, you know, is he gonna do the thing where like you see a lot of wrestlers they do the fall in love with their hands and you know he is coming off of two it's two, two KO wins from strikes. Granted, you know, it was against uh. Uh, Sago and uh, what is his name? Is it Cottrell or fucking God? The old Dan Tom doesn't have notes in front of him. Um, Morel, that's what it is. I think his name was. I still don't have it in front of me, but anyways, yeah, he got them both on the feet, and you know, you know, uh, uh, he's still working with Henry Hooft. Obviously, those two are uh, real tight together, and. Sorry, how's that working out? You know, um, you know, does does the confidence? Uh, sorry, I was reading something. <laughs> does the confidence you know pick up from there because he's working with? I mean, you know, you know how it goes. Anyways, it's just, it's just weird. You just see him get turned off by certain things, and uh, I, I don't know. I, with, with with Dan Hooker's uptrend with his the dynamic, uh, the dynamicism of his offense, I, I see him hitting him with something that kind of shifts the momentum of the fight. Now, does it shift it toward where he gets a finish? Does it shift it toward where he gets a decision? Uh, I'm still not sure. I'm actually leaning toward decision again, even though the statistics will tell you otherwise. Both these guys have only won one decision to their name. Uh, but maybe that's why. Again, most of these guys are just, they're very opportunistic. But I just, I see Hooker with with, with, with more weapons on the feet if he can if he can keep it there, as, as trite as that sounds. But but it's, it's, it's kind of how I'm feeling. Um, I'm not going to lie. It's not a confident pick. Uh, I believe all the way up. My, my pick probably said Burns all the way up until I was probably submitting it to Junkie. Um, so uh, it was one of those fights. So I, it's on my avoid list for that reason. Um, if you're on either side of this fight, good luck. Not, uh, not me, though. Not, not, 
Not for me. Not for me, kids. All right, kids. Move it along. To Curtis Melinder versus Max Griffin. Um, this one for being competitive, uh, almost was on my fights to avoid for that one. But if, if you feel strong either way, I guess you say go for it. Me? No, though. I'm, uh, I'm okay. Let's see what the lines are for this one, though. Um, oh, and I canceled it right there. Yeah, accidentally. I'm going to pull it up again. Melinda's favorite, but not by much. Max Griffin, the underdog. Uh, essentially, neither of these guys like to stand up. I mean, both these guys like to stand up. Neither of these guys like to grapple. Uh, if I were to gamble on, on which one would probably be more likely, despite what Melinda was saying in the interviews he did with us in MMA Junkie about his ground game better, getting better, and not that I don't believe you, Curtis. We all know that's a lot of that's talk. And... Uh, given the mix of uh, martial arts down there at Mara Nobles. Uh, I'll say Max Griffin, but really I see this as being a striking contest uh, through and through. And it's just the question of, is it a striking contest where they finish each other or they go to decision? Uh, or, uh, the line was looking tempting. I'll pull it up right now for go the distance or not go the distance. Uh, I didn't play either uh, on either side of it, but... Let me pull it up now while I have it. Uh, sorry, it's bad podcast as I'm looking for it. But yeah, I'm taking Melinda here. Um, I feel dumb for, 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 for picking against him in the last fight, but I just thought the short notice and people, uh, it, you know, underrating Tiago Alves. But no, no, it was right. He, he iced him, in. and good on Melinda, man. I really felt bad picking against him because he was a guy where I was like, this guy's, he's a guy actually I was following on the regionals uh, through bad times and good, and when he was coming up on the good, I was like, man, this guy's really hit a corner. He's uh, he's going to get picked up by the UFC, and sure enough, takes that short-notice call. I didn't think it was the best call, but then, sure enough, proved me. Hey, man, excuse me. Sorry, you know, later these things getting go. It's getting closer to midnight here, so later this goes, the worse I get. That's how the body works. Uh, fight won't go the distance, plus 105, which looks tempting. But the more I look at it, I can see this thing going the distance. Um, just because these, you know, the, the ranges these guys like to play. But uh, kind of akin to uh, Griffin's fight with Chidi Nijikawani outside the UFC. You know, Melender's, uh, sorry, Griffin's good with his pull counters, that right hand, and his footwork, that stick and move styling, works behind the jab. And we'll line up that right hand, walk a guy into it, guide him into it, if you will. But the fact that he's kind of, to do that, that pulling in and out of range when he's entering, and more importantly, when he's exiting, I think he's going to be there for Melender's kicks. You know, Melender will kind of slip and go off of that head movement, kind of that Carlos Condit, how he got the, got GSP in the third round, that classic combo Condit does where he kind of has just moves with his torso and lets his body flow and lets the kick kind of float up with it. And Melender will kind of do a lot of that stuff. And I see him catching kind of uh, Griffin when he's kind of coming back out of range. But Griffin keeps impressing me every time out, too. And seems to at least, especially in his last fight with Mike Perry, showing that he's doing his homework. You know, his camp doesn't get a lot of credit. But I think they're doing their homework on their guys. And uh, Melinda's dangerous. But again, you only got to worry about certain things. As far as you're not going to worry about him pulling guard, taking you down, jumping for guillotines and shit like that. 
Um, and even with the striking, if you kind of watch his patterns, uh, although to be honest, it, it's hard to try to get a beat on him because Melinda's more of a guy that likes to get a beat on you. And then we'll flow and work off that. That's what makes him so dangerous. But yeah, I got Melinda here, but uh, not confident either way. And I'm actually leaning more toward a decision than a stoppage. Although, uh, plus 105, if you're one of those people who's like, oh, there's no way. This is a striking match. These guys are going to ice each other. If that's your read, well, then I, I think the plus 105 fight doesn't go the distance. is probably um, value, if that's your opinion. But it's not m mine, at least enough to, to play it. Sorry, Ben's having nightmares if you hear him gr uh, grumbling. Again, it's late. All right, next fight I do have a little bit of a stronger opinion on. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to pull the trigger for it to be amongst my betting article, but Lando Venata, especially now that he's dropped into the minus 190 range, um, who faces Drakkar Close, and the comeback on Close is... Da -da -da. Sorry, it's a little out of order here. There it is, plus 165. Um, you know, I took close in an upset to upset, uh, what was his name? The English guy, Mark D. Casey. Because D. Casey fights uh, from the clinch a lot uh, when he's not hitting his highlight knockouts, and, and Jakar Close kind of makes his money there. But unless Jakar Close can kind of predicate, you know, kind of, kind of, kind of, force his game on you in the clinch um, or at his pace as far as striking at range goes, which he can do pretty well as far as, you know, counter right hands and leg kicks and kind of lull you into his clinch game and dictate the wrestling, which he can do, even though you could argue he doesn't do enough from his wrestling credentials and especially people that said, uh, you know, that scouted him when he was wrestling uh, in Michigan. Um, but, uh, but yeah, Venata, though it hurts him a lot of the times, He's not going to be going at his pace. Fernando's going to be going at a high pace, even though it kind of hurts him, and he seems to tire um, mid toward the end of fights. Um, you also got to look at it. He was taking a lot of damage in those fights. You also got to look, he, you know, again, can't just just like you can't. I was, I was preaching before earlier in this podcast. Can't just take away just because a guy fights lesser experience. Well, you can't just overinflate it either. Guy fights tough experience, but but yes, Venata was tight, you know, fighting tough experience, so you do have to factor that in. Uh, but you know, again, Venata's got really good wrestling, and people don't often talk about that or realize that. Uh, it's something that really caught my eye when I was doing tape study for him uh, for a Ferguson fight, and it really surprised me, really impressed me. Uh, you know, I've talked about this before in this podcast as far as that. You know, can't remember which fight it is offhand, but I believe I want to say it's an RF, RFA fight uh, that I referenced before on here where. You know, he's getting pushed against the fence, um, you know, a.k.a. Dracar Close's best scenario. And motherfucker hits a Gramby roll, like, standing against the fence to get out of it. Like, he's sandwiched. The opponent's pressing Venata against the fence. And he essentially, for those who don't know Gramby roll, essentially looks like he's doing just, like, a cartwheel. Like, you know, guys are trying to push down on the head of an opponent, dig for an underhook, create space. Like, it looks like he's going to go that typical route. And he's like, yeah, I'm just going to do a little cartwheel here and roll out from this guy's shit. And he does. It's amazing. It's fucking awesome. Like, that's the kind of stuff Venato can do at his best. I'm hoping they've gotten in his head and are really honing him down as far as being so wild because I think that's what leads to him gassing out, leads to him taking a damage. And both those things, gassing out will lead you to taking damage, and taking damage will lead you to gassing out. So, I, you know, he... he he plays this such a fine line of lighting the fuse and trying to, you know, get to his goal before the 
you know, the fuse that he lights himself fucking goes out on him. Like, that's what it feels like when you're watching his fight. When you're watching him fight. But I, I like this matchup for him a lot here. In fact, he may or may not show up as a parlay piece in my betting article for Junkie. So keep an eye out for that. All right, next fight. Rafael Asuncao versus Rob Font. This one is on the avoid list, too, just because it's so damn competitive and close. And whether you're backing the dog or not, you cannot deny that Rob Font is not live. But I, well, I'm picking the favorite. I'm picking Rafael Asuncao, minus 170. Rob Font to come back on him is plus 150. Big fan of Font. Wanted to pick him against Almeida. Should have picked him against Almeida because I've always picked those boxer types against Almeida before from Pickett, even though that didn't go well for me, but better than some of you might have thought. And Cody Garbrandt, which did work out well for me. Uh, but no, I actually did pick Almeida, though. against uh, I picked Rivera against Almeida. That worked out well. And no, I actually picked Almeida against Font and, and paid for it. Uh, good on Font. Happy for him to come through in Boston. It's awesome, dude. Uh, shit, I think we're supposed to get him in the studio. Maybe... Maybe no, no, he's weighing tomorrow. That's why we coming tomorrow. Maybe we missed him this week, man. I know we were we were trying to link up with Font. I know we were. I really like Font, um, but I still couldn't pick him. I was kind of back and forth, but essentially it's just that lulling factor of uh, a Sun Sao. He's so good at getting you to fight at your pace. You know the thing that I that, that uh, I, was, I said Dracar Close was missing to get the dynamic. I believe he's going to need to go his way for the Venata fight. Well. Rafael Sunsal has that in spades. He can get you to fight at his pace um, and uh, and get you to kind of work at those speeds. And he, he, his veteran savvy allows him to take some of these decisions, whether they be splits unanimous, whether you agree with him or not. He takes them. Um, and good on him. And, you know, I believe he's training with uh, Manute down there uh, for the Muay Thai, and it's been slowly but surely paying off. He... Puts those little one, two, three, whack, one, two, three, whack combos together and, uh, and, and, and was feeling his dry, was tagging Lopez, hitting him with leg kicks, timing the right hand up high, hitting him off the break, which kind of, uh, keyed it off for him. It was hit that beautiful right hand in their fight. And I'm, I'm a guy who's higher on Lopez than most. So, so hats off to him Sunstar for getting the finish that he needed to. And, you know, he is a 35 year old bantamweight. There's, they're more common than you think. It isn't a death sentence, but it is a flag. Certainly a flag. This could be, you know, the saying, they get old overnight. This could be that for Rafael Sunsau. But uh, until we see it, I got to pick him here. Got to imagine the matchmakers and some of these contenders at the top would prefer him to lose. Um, I'll be happy for Fawn if he wins. The picks of Sunsau. No plays. Um... Oh, by the way, even though I just said I, t I even though I just said I'm, I'm slightly more leaning toward Melender for decision as opposed to a finish. He does get a, himself some finishes though, and in case it does go, I did take a Melender on, on DraftKings. Uh, essentially, also kind of where it lined up, and we'll get to the rest of my picks. But yeah, um, I did I did take him there. Uh, as far as uh, DraftKings, though, even though you could argue about his price, but uh, you'll see how I picked my other team, and it'll make a little more sense when that comes around. All right, sorry, sorry. Stay on target, Dan. Stay on target. Uh, sorry, I woke up Ben there with that one. All right, next is Hall versus Costa. Man, maybe it was the Extreme Couture bias, but I actually had Hall as a pick 
up until uh, well, I guess started getting getting more deeper into the tape study. Yeah, Hall was my early lean coming into this one. I knew he was going to be the underdog, and rightfully so. But uh, you know, as much as you wanted to look at maybe being the overrate people overrating Costa and, and underrating Paul that, uh, Hall, uh, I still think they're underrating Hall. And I think Hall proved that in his last fight, but he was getting tagged up pretty bad by Yoko. And Yoko hasn't exactly been looking great lately either. I'm not trying to take away from Hall there, diminish that win. I'm just saying, like, you know, it's just kind of a perspective you can take on it. And as far as the perspective of trying to kind of diminish, which, you know, Dan Tom loves to be contrarian, diminish, like, muscled-up hype trains. But I'd be a hypocrite because Dan Tom has said right here on this own podcast, not just... Paulo Costa, Bohachinha, Bohachinha, even in Bohachinha's first fight, uh, the UFC, uh, Dan Tom was high on him because of the way he punches. You know, it's not just corralling guys to the kill zone, which Hall does hang out in Bohachinha's kill zone, which was a big thing that made me pick Bohachinha here, but Bohachinha. Well, variated shot selections, you know, instead of just going one, two, one, two, one, two, or one, two, one, two, one, two, or one, one, two, one, 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 two. He's going one, one, two, one, 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 two, body, head, 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 body, body, head, left, right, left, 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 right, left. And he's varying the levels and the sides and the rhythms. I love it. He's doing little things and measuring, and they even referenced it on the commentary, the way he was finding his finish uh, on Johnny Hendricks, and it was just so reminiscent to exactly how I analyzed his previous finishes. And I'm sure if you listen to this podcast, you heard me pontificated on it before, but it impresses me, goddammit. And The Eraser is bad of a 1996 movie, although I used to have that car, but could I do Eraser? Come on. There's was, was a cool weapon they had in that movie, though, that, that X-ray weapon. Uh, they had a couple cool weapons in that movie, that nail grenade. But, uh, but yeah, Boaching is the best uh, little rubber. It's the best nickname. And uh, surprise, surprise, I found out uh, Jenny Andrade had a little crush on Bohachinha. She was revealing on the show. Man, I don't, I don't blame her, man. He, he, dude is, 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 is body to the bone. So uh, good on that. And uh, thanks, Jenny, for uh, embarrassing me. But I had to take one for the bullet in case you all saw that uh, little Zumba dancing stream. Listen, when a Brazilian banger like her asks you to dance... She'd get me to do a lot of embarrassing things, put it that way. Uh, shout out to Jenny. All right, main card time, baby. Ah, again, I admit my biases when I'm there, but I also pick against him too. Just like I pick against Hall, who I really come around on. Not just the him working with my my boy Eric Nixick. Shot to Eric Nixick and with the Extreme Couture affiliation, but and also pick against people like Roundtree. Roundtree, not Extreme Couture. Roundtree, Syndicate MMA guy, but Roundtree, uh, BR14, Brian. On this podcast, uh, more friends with than me, but we used to know, hang out with, go to the same shows back in the day when Round Cheese says he was 300 pounds. He wasn't kidding. He was 300 plus pounds. He was a chubster back in the day, nodding his head in the mosh pits. Uh, very unassuming. Would never assume this kid to be a fighter. Then next thing I know, motherfucker is like showing up at Tough Enough shows uh, back in the day. And he's knocking out heavyweights. He's this ice and grown man with a goddamn Khalil. And he slowly started getting himself in shape, dropping down further and further to the light heavyweight limit. Next thing you know, he's like a pro in the RFA. But even though my, my initial lean was Roundtree because my bias, you know, well, maybe I'll upset him. Maybe this is just a... No, 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 no. 
man. I'm a big fan of Turkish Tyson. Gokhan Saki. Been a big fan of his uh, for for a while. Probably, not for a while, while I want to say. Probably only since like 20, 2012 or 2013-ish. Um, but yeah, just watching him in the K1 really just fuck, you know, just blew me away. And, uh, you know, it was cool to see him uh, try to come back and do some stuff in glory, although it seems like something was missing. And then later you see like, oh, okay, motivation issues, and they felt like he was done in kickboxing. It kind of made more sense. But you're like, what is he doing? It seems kind of sketchy. He's coming back. And then he comes back and, and looks impressive. You know, he worked with the American Top Team for a little bit then also brought some guys to Turkey for wrestling. Now, I want to say it looks like he's doing some work in Sweden. I can't say exactly who, but, you know, uh, looks like he's been working with some wrestlers, MMA fighters and non. Um, but, yeah, uh, I think he's putting in the work, you know. Um, not like your traditional Muay Thai where it's like, okay, his clinch is going to transfer. But you look at the things he was doing in the clinch. He was doing some wrestling things that told me that he was training. He wasn't bullshitting, you know, um, as far as how he's defending the fundamentals from the clinch. Kind of, again, like what I was saying earlier in the this, this like where his head's at, things he, the places where he was putting his hands, the, you know, the directions where you're trying to put his hips. Um, was telling me he was at least being instructed and was doing some reps. Um, I don't think he's going to have to worry about it as much, even in, in this fight as his last fight. depends. You know, Khalil may, may try to pull a wild card, but I think it's just going to be a striking match how it's kind of shaped out to be on paper. Khalil, you know, dangerous southpaw. Um, you saw him drop Tyson Pedro. Uh, not that Pedro's like, you know, the greatest striker or anything, but I'm just saying, like, you know, he's got power there against durable guys. He hasn't uh, been stopped by strikes. Um... Seldom rocked, but again, this is a this is this is another level of technique and even power. It's not the biggest light heavyweight, but again, a guy I've been there with really big heavyweights, experienced tough heavyweights. Uh, Gokan Saki has, and I love Khalil. And MMA isn't high level striking, and high level striking isn't MMA, and yeah, there's those arguments. But no, this is uh, I, I I just don't see him lining up well in the striking department, and I had to pick against him here. In fact. So much so that it just, I was surprised at the line. And then when the line came out after, you know, researching and looking at the line, and, and let's just say, you know, I don't blame anybody for playing Saki straight. And shoot, you may or may not even see a Saki play. Because um, there's just not a lot of uh, straight plays that I like. I mean, there's some dogs to sprinkle on, but it's hard. I, I preach it all the time. When you have these super weekends like this, you have these crazy cards, like a lot of the time these guys cancel out each. Each other, the odds. It's why I laugh when I see steep odds because it's like you're putting high level fighter against highest level fighter in a lot of these fights. Not, not, not in this fight per se, but the dynamic of these fights. You know, you're putting they're very competitive fights, whether they're high level fights or lower level fights. They're very competitively matched on weekends like these. So your values in the dogs, but aside from uh, Tavares who got bet up and is on a different card, and. Uh, Cormier, who I didn't feel that comfortable suggesting, and then especially after just the way this week's going and then that, that fucking spill that he took earlier today. Um, yeah, I didn't really feel comfortable recommending too many dogs inside of Tavares, who the, the breakdown already dropped on there. Earlier this week was the first one to drop when he was still a dog. So maybe I'm partly to blame, who knows. But, but yeah, the money already came in on him uh, for as far as for me suggesting to you.
So, and again, my money's already on him too. But yeah, Saki is a, is a guy that I may or may not have played. I may or may not suggest for you, uh, for, for my article, I should say. Uh, we'll see, though. Um, all right, Kiesa versus, oh, by the way, Roundtree. A little tidbit. Um, uh, there was a rumor that uh, Anderson Silva may or may not have been knocked out in practice before that Chris Weidman fight before he got knocked out by Weidman. Uh, yeah, that may or may not have been Khalil when he was training at Black House, just saying. But then again, you can't put that in that. Me and those who heard that rumor. Um, that's another reason why we were all so excited on Khalil, too, for him coming in because we just like, oh, people don't know. This is the guy that may or may not knocked out Anderson Silva back. You know, Anderson Silva was still Anderson Silva, which. Maybe he wasn't, and we just didn't know it yet, right? Because then you look at what happened in that fight and then what happened since then. Anyways, but yeah, it's all your fault, Khalil. I get it. Yeah, it's just hearsay. I don't know that. That's just hearsay, folks. But but yeah, just wanted to throw that out there because, you know, enough time's passed. All right, Kiesa versus Pettis. Um, this fight already happened. I already broke it down on the podcast. I already broke it down on Junkie. And then a bus incident fucking happened. God damn it. Um, but yeah, I'm, my pick still hasn't changed, but... Uh, I'm not any more confident on it. I'm picking Kiesa, who I didn't think he should have been favored last time. I still don't think he should be favored this time. Um, because every time I pick against Kiesa, I feel like he's asking for body kicks. And now he's facing one of the best body kickers. So inherently, I should be picking Pettis over him. Pettis, also an underrated grappler. But the thing is, at the end of the day, I just don't like how Pettis has been responding to these wars. You know, I said it in my breakdown months ago. The way he's responding to these wars and taking damage, taking more, how he's taking it, and how he is in dogfights to where, essentially, if he doesn't get the finish in the first four minutes of this fight, I see Kiesa winning this uh, one way or another, before the bell or by the bell. Whether it's an ugly clinching grinding affair or he uh, gets him in the RNC position and just wears him down and gets this, excuse me, gets this joke. So uh, I, I will be taking Kiesa, but I am not confident either way. In fact, the play I had last time still exists and is still within striking range, and especially with the way things that I've liked or are more obvious have already been kind of bet out of range, uh, picking for what's left, as, as I kind of have to do toward the end of the week with the way my things are. And honestly, it should be. We really shouldn't be making our bets till till near or after weigh-ins, really. Um, after, you know, you've, you've, you've done your, your, your study – or whatever your process is. Um, but yeah, um, my, my play from before, if you remember, it still exists today. still going to play it. That's P- Kiesa Pettis won't go the distance because I honestly just see these guys finishing one or the other. Uh, minus 105. I just took a 1.5 unit shot on it. Practically at even money. And uh, that way you're covered either way um, because these guys are... are are do or die in spirit. Not that they don't go win or lose by decision. I'm not delusional by all means. This could obviously bet could lose. This could obviously go to decision. I am. I'm not preaching any absolute, but this is a prop that I'm putting my money behind, and uh, will end up on my article. This one will end up on my article. That won't go the distance. By the way, Pettis by TKO plus like triple seven. That just seems like almost asking to be played if you think Pettis is going to win. I don't see why you're not sprinkling on that. And Kiesa by sub plus 245. Hall by TKO plus 530 if you're looking to sprinkle because Costa's like been bet out, by the way, because let's be honest, 
Costa, we haven't seen him pass the second. I know I'm going back to that fight, but Costa, you know, can gas and Hall showed in his last fight he can come back. So there's that dynamic there too. Anyways, sorry, there's some old notes that I wrote down. All right. Um, next fight, Felder versus Perry, which got moved to the main card. Newly made matchup. It's supposed to be Medeiros, who was injured. Now Felder, who lost Vic to the Gaethje matchup, is inserted and gets to fight at welterweight. Um, and to the surprise of some, Felder was bigger than Perry, but not me. Uh, Felder's fucking huge. Um, he was noticeably bigger than uh, Colby Covington when we were on our military trip. Like, it wasn't like they looked like a weight class separated them, per se. But when we said that there, we were coming with a lightweight and welterweight fighter, most people guessed that Covington was the lightweight and Felder was the welterweight. Put it that way, and in the pictures when you, they're standing by each other, and granted, Covington's not the biggest Walter weight either, but he is taller and bigger than Perry. Um, and Perry is generously five ten, probably more like a five nine. Has fought at lightweight before, at least as an amateur, and maybe even early in his pro. Um, actually, I think he did. I think he fought Preston Parsons, who was one of the more tougher guys on his uh, regional card dance card um, that Perry beat. I mean, it look real similar to Felder's victory over Stevie Ray, Ray uh, that fight. But, yeah, um, so I don't think the size is going to be so much of an issue. That said, Perry will be the stronger man. He will have the more knockout power, averages, you know, two knockdowns per 15 minutes. One of the top guys at welterweight in that regard. Um, so, you know, Felder, who's super durable, it's going to be tested. It's certainly going to be tested, even though, again, the size disparity isn't going to be is big, but that doesn't mean he's not going to be tested, which is interesting because Felder, even though he's super strong and he's good in the clinch, he does concede the clinch a lot. So even though he's getting a lot of his finishes from there, it's super dangerous for anybody to be t tied in there with him. He does secede it, which is dangerous if a guy's game plan is to wrestle, grind, or strike from there which uh, Masarandu Ronaldo had a lot of success in, um, cut him open from the top, and then was able to work that cut open and get the finish from the clinch, even though Felder wasn't rocked here, like, close to being stopped. It was a doctor stoppage, but still, no, no bueno, right? And Perry, who doesn't go to the clinch enough, I've always said he's an underrated wrestling, especially when, again, when you go watch his regional fights, and you see glimpses of that. Even in his last fight, he discovered it and should have gone to it more against Max Griffin. Maybe he could have change the tide, especially when you see how he got his back in the end of the first round, but uh, if he goes to that, I could see avenues, if this fight, especially if this fight goes long and starts going on the, the decision side, which I know most of us see it going finished, getting, being finished either way, which I do too, but still, it very well could go to the decision uh, route in a weird, yet violently slogging way, right? And uh, in that, I could see Perry having some success, but then again, it's going to be just as dangerous for him, too. They both, you know, Perry does those more, you know, just elbows off the break, whereas Felder, he, I actually could see some spinning shit happening. I, it's, it feels irresponsible to predict spinning shit, but when you read my breakdown, you will see that I I may uh, I may humor that a bit, but but not, not even humoring it, rightfully so. Felder does throw it. He does throw it accurately. He has gotten knockouts with it both at the UFC level and off the UFC level. Um, Perry, hard guy to stop, hard guy to rock, but he has been hit and rocked with stuff, spinning stuff, both off and on the UFC level. So I mean, there are there are some some um, 
photo, uh, some, some some evidence there, some physical evidence there of that. Uh, spin to win, as Felder says. Um, I can see that shit happening, especially if he's going to try to corral uh, Perry. But I also see the leg kicks being in play because, you know, Felder, he doesn't stick and move like Roberts, Joe Ban, or Griffin, right? Guys who have found success, even if, like, Hot Chocolate Roberts got stopped by Perry, found success largely by sticking and moving. Ooh, excuse me, not that Felder can't. He actually showed a little bit more, be more, a little more lighter and sticking and moving on his feet um, since joining up with Rufus Sport. But I, I see the leg kicks doing well. And even the counter right hand, it wasn't, you know, it's more a check hook and elbows from Felder, as I've stated in many of my breakdowns on him before. But what's interesting is his striking improved, notably. Not just I, everybody, most people at least notice since he moved to the Rufus Sport because I think he found... Again, Duke Rufus, traditional martial arts, got in a Muay Thai, same with Paul Felder. Those got the same evolution, they're going to click. It's a great matchup. But if you look at it, just within a couple fights, Felder's picking up on stuff that Rufus, at least from an outsider's perspective, feels like he's been trying to get Pettis to do for years. Now, Pettis is a very underrated counter right hand as far as his boxing goes. But you, not just the counter right hand, even in the way he moves and kind of sets and like, likes to pull and feint. Like, Felder is doing this stuff almost like Pettis, similar but better. And uh, granted, he's going to do it differently because he's applying and coming from his own slash a different style. But you're seeing a lot of these, see, uh, these same key traits, moves, and tactics that are instilled into the, a lot of the Rufus Sport fighters like Sergio as well. But Felder's already implementing it in just a couple of camps. That's a really good sign. That's a really fucking good sign. So I think there's some definite clickage there. I like Felder's hand speed. So I think he's actually going to be able to counter and beat Perry to the punch. Now, inherently, that's a very dangerous game to play. We could very well see Felder suffer his first knockout loss and be winning this fight all the way up until he doesn't. I mean, like I tweeted when this fight was rumored to have happened, the clinch will be re-entitled the kill zone. It's stated in my breakdown of this fight as well. It's... Anytime it goes there, don't don't go you know, don't hold your breath or blink. Trust me. Um, that's gonna be a crazy one. But I am picking Felder, and uh, I'm actually picking him to get it done inside the distance too. There, inside the distance, it could very well be by decision. I'm not feeling super strong either way. But Felder, uh, good luck if you're playing. There's there's value either way there. I mean, he's not too far out of range if you like him as a favorite. Or if you like the dog as a parry, the inherent welterweight who was actually training for this fight night to peak at this night, then yeah, I don't blame you either. All right, newly minted co-main event, Derek Lewis Francis Ninganu. Um, Ninganu got inflated all the way up to like Minus 400 kind of came back down to earth a little bit. Minus 365, Derek Lewis, plus 305 as of this writing at least. But, man, anything, like I stated in my breakdown, anything over 3 to 1 ratio of odds for a heavyweight fight, I almost just want to laugh at. Like, you know, high level, low level, it doesn't fucking matter. It's a heavyweight fight, really. We're swinging leather at 265 pounds, you know. But and so for that alone, I, I wanted to look for a reason to pick Derek Lewis, but uh, still ended up with Ninganu. You know, Derek Lewis went for takedowns more than I realized um, from beginning to his career. To even even though less perhaps because of back issues he's complained about, but uh, even recently he'll still go for it. The problem though is he either goes for these like really low percentage where he's like almost like doing a Uchimata variation where he's just essentially just shuck muscling off an underhook. 
which is super low percentage. I mean, even a, a well-done Uchimata is just a low percentage takedown at heavyweight. You know what I'm saying? So he's not really hitting these. And when he's messing up, he's putting himself in bad spots. Or he's doing that like juggernaut where he just runs through you and falls over you like blast double. Which is fine, and I actually see that as being his best bet. But you're only good as your last fight, so Rudy's going to say he's got... Uh, and then a terrible wrestling because he got, you know, um, he got uh, outmaneuvered uh, by Stipe um, and, and beat up the two as well, for sure. Not taking anything away from Stipe or that fight. Just saying. Ugh, excuse me. But give credit where credit's due, you know. Um, Ngannou has, you know, you go back and watch. He has shown some, some, some get-up savvy and some trickery, some submission defense. Even in his regional fights, even though he granted low-level, excuse me, competition. But you should look what he's doing. And then, um, yeah, he got bailed out by Hosegood against uh, Henrique, Luis Henrique. But, uh, you know, against Curtis Blades, granted it was a raw green debutante Curtis Blades, but he was showing the ability to adjust sprawl and get back up against Curtis Blades. So, you know, I don't, I'm not going to claim to know where Nangano is currently in on the ground or what he's been doing. I'm not too optimistic, No. Nor my soul that he's shored, shored that up, obviously. But I have to imagine he's worked on it. That being said, I'm still uh, still picking him here. I mean, don't get me wrong. It, it's it's scary. It's not a confident pick. I mean, Lewis could be one takedown away from just taxing him and being the first person to stop Ninganu. But I feel like Ninganu, um, his shot selection from his rhythm changes to uppercuts. And the way he just intercepts guys coming in is, is going to be real bad news because that's that's how Derek Lewis often gets caught. He's coming in. It's the way his aggressive entries get him caught. Um, and if he does go into the clinch, I don't know if that's going to bode well for him. You know, the, uh, taking damage early to come back late. I don't. I don't know how that bodes well for you against Nganu. Um, don't get me wrong. Nganu could gas. We get a weird fucking fight on our hands where then Derek Lewis comes back late. Like I'm not going to be surprised if that happens. That's. As Burmy before, you know, I picked Tybor last fight. That's what happened, you know. Um, not really. I mean, Tybor didn't lay it on him in the beginning, but I'm just saying I, w I wouldn't be surprised for Derek Lewis to come back like he has before. All right, Max Ortega. Max Ortega. <laughs> Brian Ortega versus Max Holloway. God, I wrote such. Ah, I love that fight like you did. Oh, poured myself into that breakdown. Poured so much into that. It gets fucking canceled. God damn it. Thanks, Matt Wells, at Mr. Wells Art, for the uh, shout-out on Twitter, by the way. But, yeah, it sucks for all of us, though, man, to be honest. It, it just sucks, and I'm sadly used to it. All right, main event time. Main event. Daniel Cormier versus Stipe Miocic. My initial pick was Miocic. I, I hated the fight. and I just, I'm like, oh, Miocic's going to knock him out. That's the thought I had when they announced the fight. Probably all the way about till I did, did my study. That is what I thought, but I'm actually siding with DC by decision. Sorry, I try to pull bots here. Where is it at? Yeah, wow, plus 190. Money coming in on DC. Minus 230. Miocic. Um, yeah, essentially, you know, similar styles. Boxing, wrestling, style of boxing, pressure. Even though Miocic is, is, is better off the counter and just a better overall boxer, I believe. Um, but... Cormier more weapons. Cormier underrated kicks. I actually think Cormier is going to use his leg kicks. He has really underrated leg kicks inside and outside. Even his body kicks are underrated. And looking at what JDS did, well, I think Cormier has to have seen that. Um, 
Cormier does have good experience at heavyweight, like he likes to remind people. And although you could counter that and say that's an overestimated argument, which I understand, I will say there is the Kane factor who he's been training with apparently for this camp. Um, and just for large parts of his career, I don't want to say majority because it feels like Kane's been injured forever. And that's the thing, you know. Um, the wrestling boxing prototypes, Deep A has seen less of it. And Cormier has seen closer slash more variations of that, especially when you just consider the trumping variation of the one guy who's out there that, that stylistically provides a Stipe a challenge, although that becomes less optimistic the longer Kane is out. As somebody who has bet against Kane before coming back off layoffs, obviously I'm, I'm realistic about that. Um, but just just saying as far as, as preps and check marks, as far as Cormier not, not being completely out of his league, you know, and as far as the size argument goes, uh, in general, um, you know, I'm, I'm seeing some people write off Stipe's wrestling, but then I'm also seeing some people just write off Cormier's wrestling as far as is the better wrestler. How do we know that? Like, Stipe doesn't use his wrestling enough in his fights. Like, he's done it the times he was supposed to, but there's other times where he probably should have too, and he, he didn't. Like, he doesn't use it a lot. Um, even in fights like, the, you know, he's getting tagged on the feet. Like, the Shane Darrow was early in his career, but, like, he just wasn't comfortable, you know? And you see it, he admits that in his post-fight interviews there. And you, he's, he's a reluctance to go to his ground game. You hear about it, and you don't see it in the fight. You know, what are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to count on something that you don't see? Sure enough, he dusted off when he damn sure should have against Francis Ngannou, got himself the win. Good for Stipe. Happy for him. But, you know, uh, he was getting tired too. In fact, he gets tired a lot of his fights. Oh, Stipe went five rounds before. Like, when? When he lost a five-round decision? And got and the rounds that he won were early rounds, and he was tired. Granted, he got, you know, hit by that check left hook to help change the course, but let's be honest. Stipe's gotten tired before at the end of fights, and he was tired in those rounds, the later rounds, and when he did go the distance of the five-round fight, and he did technically lose that fight, whether you think he did or not. I, I, it was a close fight, but I do think he lost it, and, you know? And, and uh, so it's not this, like, he's some cardio machine is going to overpower, and he's proven against better wrestlers because... Stipe has better cardio than most people, and he may have better cardio than Cormier, sure. But to be like it's a sold fact, I don't know about that. I don't think that's what the evidence has shown us. I think the evidence has shown us that Stipe has had his performances where he's shown to get tired too. And uh, just as you can get tired working with a bigger man, where you say, well, Stipe is going to get tired, or Cormier's going to get tired against a bigger man against Stipe, and the only reason why Stipe got tired against Ngannou is because Ngannou is bigger, which proves the point that Stipe is going to beat Cormier. Okay, I guess I can get that logic, but sometimes a smaller guy can tire you out too, and I, I hope I articulated it well in the breakdown, but in case I didn't, in case you didn't read it, um, those of you who wrestled even or grapple, you don't have to have fight to have realized this, especially if you haven't fought, actually, you can realize this, where in the wrestling room or in jiu-jitsu where you're paired up with somebody who's smaller than you, and they probably, maybe they're less experienced, maybe less technical, and you're just better than them, right? But maybe it's late into the practice and you're kind of tired and uh, this might be, you know, your takeoff run. Maybe not even that far. It's just you're a little more tired or you're just, you're just say you're paired up like five rounds to go with them, right? They're your extended partner for the class and it's at the end of the class like most classes do when you're doing your sparring. And beginning you're doing well, you're controlling them, you're pinning them down in positions. Maybe you're giving yourself breathers and you're just being an asshole like that. 
and you're not being, you're, maybe you're being your buddy fucking him and being a dick and not giving yourself a chance to work. Fine, that's fine. It's competitive. I get it. But the later rounds start coming and they're not slowing down. And eventually you are kind of slowing down. So you start tiring. You're like, you know, I'm a little tired here. I'm better than him. I'm winning the round. It's just practice. All the many justifications. I'll give him this position and one position leads to another. And that sounds crazy, Dan. This is a fight. This isn't your grappling experiences. No, no, no. We, we've seen this many times. Cardio exhaustions make, makes cowards, cowards of us all. There's many sayings that are kind of equivalent to that for a reason because it's true. And we've seen it in fights where guys start to tire. And what happens? They give one position, but one position leads to two positions. Two positions leads to side control. Side control leads to you're eating elbows in the face. And uh, the tides can turn that quick. So, um, yeah, it's... It's, it's, it, you know, it, it, it could be deceptive. So in other words, going with a smaller guy can start working against you. That smaller guy, even though he's not being effective, can make you work and can make you tired. So essentially, not only does Cormier not have to be the bigger guy, not only does he not have to even get takedowns, which I think he'll get takedowns. I just don't think he'll secure takedowns. I think both guys can get takedowns. I think both guys are just near impossible to hold down, right? Uh, even Jones had trouble holding, you know, uh, Cormier down or getting in position. Cormier would get right back up, get in on a takedown of his own. So the point is, it's going to be a dog fight, and it's going to come down to conditioning. Who is in better conditioning? Who can scramble in a dog fight? I like Cormier. Now Cormier has shown a tire in a dog fight when it's not going his way, but that was against only John Jones, guys. That's John fucking Jones. And do I got to remind you who John Jones is? I don't think so. Um. So, I mean, yeah, and John Jones is a guy that a lot of you would either be picking against Stipe or at least giving a good chance against Stipe. So, I mean, again, when you're looking at all these things in the big picture, relative terms, objectively, they're not really as far apart neighborhoods as the odds or maybe the popular narrative would like you to believe. Again, Stipe should be the favorite. He was my initial pick. I'm slapping myself for picking against him. I won't be surprised if he wins. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is it's closer than it than it believe than you believe. I mean, hell, even though I think Stipe is definitely the more likely to get a knockout, would you really be surprised? Stipe, who got tagged up by Steven Struve, and it wasn't a logo that he slipped on. He was tagged multiple times in Rock before that, and he slipped on something that was not a logo. Would you be surprised if Cormier uh, landed a shot, knocked him out? We haven't seen that powerful Cormier in a minute, granted, you know, as far as that goes or that route, but. That doesn't mean the dude can't pop. He was taking it to Ozdemir in his last fight, reminding us that after he after he took Ozdemir's shots. So, yeah, um, I'm going with Cormier. I know there's a lot of people on the show and Junkie Nation that's real tight with Cormier. That's, that's not the bias that's get, get, getting me here. Believe me, I love Cormier. I'm a fan. Came in, sure, there's that. But, I mean, it's, I can honestly say it's not affecting my pick. And I think I've proven that by picking biases, admitting to it, and picking against things that I should be biased for and sticking to it, even putting plays on it. Um, so, yeah, uh, those are the picks. Uh, avoid Moyle Whitmer, Hooker Burns, Sun Sal Font. Props, Pettis Chiesa, won't go the distance, minus 105, 1.5. Uh, I did a 3.5 personal on Tavares, plus 155, but that got bet out. Saki, minus 130, 1.5. Land of a possible parlay piece, minus 190, worth a look. By the way, Nangano Lewis won't see round three. Minus 222 is like a, if you're, you know, on like a dimes or something that'll let you leg that as a parlay piece. Like for me, that feels like a parlay piece. I don't see that motherfucker going around three. Uh, fantasy, I took Nangano, Melinda, Kiesa, Gokan Saki, 
Paul Felder and Cormier. Um, either potential strike finishers or they got to wrestle and score takedowns and make it a dogfight um, to win. That was my thinking there for the DraftKings with a total of 49700 for the cap. Um, iTunes and Amazon's five-star rating and reviews would be awesome. Sadly, I haven't gotten any new ones, so there's nothing new to read there. Um, Amazon and on it. Thank you guys for those of you who've been using those clicks. Uh, I want to pay off. These ones are kind of old from the last few months, but um, I haven't really been shouting it out because I haven't been consistent, and I don't deserve you guys supporting it, to be honest. But for those of you who do, thank you. It doesn't cost you if you shop it on it or Amazon sees a click through at mixedmarshallanalyst.com. Hosts my breakdowns for years, still holds my archives, and hosts the podcast smartphone friendly players. And archive of all episodes of the Protecting Neck Podcast. That's mixed martial uh, mixed martial analyst dot com. Um, yeah, uh, people clicking through the onic whole spice matcha chai latte chai lattes. Somebody stocked them on a bunch of those. Thank you. Defense soap. My grappling homies out there. I got to stack up on some myself. Uh, thank you for buying that. Dulce Way. I'm a hemp force guy myself, but uh, thank you for buying the Dulce Way. Um, Alpha Brain. It's probably me. New Mood. Got a couple New Mood click-throughs here. Um, new Mood's definitely one of the ones that, like, I feel like you could feel the most from. That 5 HTP. Old Dan Tom's been... I haven't took it in a while, but old Dan Tom's been uh, taking it now and then when I remember for Fezzy Old Stress. Um... Yeah, I think, uh, what was that fucking movie? Was it the Civil, not the Civil War, is it the, I don't know, it was the, the, the superhero, super fuck movie was coming out, so like, a bunch of people, <laughs> superhero, super fuck, that's not what it was called, uh, Jesus, where they all team up, wow, that's how out of the loop I am, what do these kids call their Spider-Mans in there, anyway, someone was stocking up for that, because to the Amazon click-through, somebody bought Civil War, Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2, Ant-Man, which I still got to see. I'm a Paul Rudd fan. And I haven't seen that. I think there's isn't there like a second one coming out. Again, I'm fucking so out of these. Thor. Um, what is up with Thor and their sexual planet names? Like Asgard and stuff? Like, that is like... Asgard is like... I don't know. It's the uh, name of a not popular gay club, probably. Uh, Jesus, Dan, it's late. You're making those jokes? Really? Really? Um, thank you guys for buying those. Dr. Seuss books. Was that for fucking for like Christmas or some shit? Is that how far back that I'm reaching for? Anyways, thank you for buying some Dr. Seuss books. Um, I guess more grapplers that listen to the podcast. Under Armour Rash Guards. Those are actually more expensive than you think, so thank you for buying those. Um, Hayabusa Compression Shorts. Those weren't cheap. Thank you for buying those. And... Mamo's Life screen cleaner. I don't know. Some kind of screen cleaner. Uh, LED screen cleaner. Thank you for buying that for the Amazon click-through. Again, if you guys do those click-throughs, I will read them on the show. Uh, it doesn't say who buys it from, but, you know, give you a shout-out. Maybe uh, do some commentary on those items um, as well. We'll maybe talk shit, especially if it's about movies and stuff. I'll pontificate. But I'm running out of time, so I'm going to get through here. Thank you guys for bearing with me. Sorry for that whole thing at the end. Sorry for the hiatus. Sorry for saying sorry. Sorry, eh? Um, sorry for making fun of Canadians by saying sorry there. But 
Yeah, thank you guys, honestly, for so much. I really appreciate you sticking around. Thanks for listening to this whole show. This was really fun. This was a really fun show. Hopefully you guys are enjoying International Fight Week and being a fan. Not going to lie, sometimes I really miss enjoying the sport as a fan. But uh, make sure you're doing it at the end of the day. Make sure you're enjoying yourself. And if you are betting, good luck on that. And always protect your necks.